Thank you for joining us on our journey here to preserve the history of mixed martial arts. When I wanted to take on this project, I needed help. I brought in one of my favorite matchmakers, Miguel Iterate, and the MMA detective, Mike Davis. So to do this, we've been able to preserve history. Welcome and enjoy. Okay, welcome everybody. Thank you very much for all the support. We've been getting huge growth going on right now. You are like, sharing, subscribing. You do a lot of things for us. I really appreciate it. Getting these clips out here, getting the word out there, um, having so much fun doing these deep dives. We have another very good one for you. Drew Figgett coming up. Um, very difficult one to get. You don't see a lot of him out there. Um, I don't even know how we got a hold of it. Mike, how did we do this? All right. So it took <laughs> me three months to track him down. And Ooh. it was through various people, text messaging. Not easy. I got his phone number from a reliable source. He refused to respond to me altogether. And then I started mentioning Flat Earth. And that's how we got here for Drew Fickett. Miguel, this is going to be a fun one. I mean, I know you've had some experiences with Drew. I think because he's such a hard interview to get, we're not going to push on his out-of-the-cage activities too hard. But we're going to concentrate on his actual fights. And if you know his interactions with law enforcement come up, then it just is going to have to come naturally. Well, yeah, I, I think, you know, the cool thing about Drew Fickett is nobody's mentioned it yet. 55 club member, you know, yes, sir. so we got material to talk about. Let's see what he wants to talk about. There's, I, I think we got probably six or seven years since he last competed in, in you know, in, in MMA and stuff. And I think that's a good, you know, he, he may be ready to, to tell some stories. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And I, you know, and if it goes off the, uh, you know, off the mats into the, the, the real world, it, it, it probably gets more interesting. So we'll see. Yeah. So, Chris, what I've done is um, I, we like the regional circuit, like the independent grind is what we, call, we talk about here. And what we're going to do is we're going to concentrate on Rage in the Cage because he's got a very prolific career there. And not many people have things to say publicly about Rage in the Cage. But there's also very little online as well. So I, I, I think that I think we start scratching that surface. Some real good juice might start coming. And <laughs> if, we, if we make it to the UFC, because he's got about 20 fights and Rage in the Cage, that'll be like real bonus time for us. So we're going to do the independent grind of Arizona and uh, see where it takes us. So we got to like, share, subscribe. Thank you, man, dude. Huge growth. We need another push. Give us some more and, you know, enjoy the show. Okay, welcome back, fans. Thank you for paying attention. Very excited about this. Another 50 Fight Club member, uh, fought for a long time, one of the old school guys like myself. Um, he's going to have some wild stories, especially being out in Arizona. So, ladies and gentlemen, Drew Fickett. Drew, how you doing, brother? I'm good. Hanging in there. Good, good. So, um, one thing I like to start off with and kind of go over a little bit about like your background, like your sporting background, you play football, baseball, wrestling. What, how did you, and how did that translate into MMA? How did you get into sport? Um, when I was 10, I, uh, started doing karate with, uh, like a traditional karate Kaji Kembo guy before, uh, I mean, before there was even UFC. So I think I was like, yeah, 10 years old and then. In high school, I started wrestling, 
Uh, my freshman year, freshman year, I started wrestling, and I just I loved wrestling. I was playing football before that, but as soon as I started wrestling, I, I didn't want to do anything else. I just wanted to wrestle. It's just one of those things. So yep. the wrestling has else. an ability to take over your life like no other sport really can, you know, or like no other high school sport. Yeah, it's definitely uh, it's not for everybody, but for the people that enjoy that kind of pursuit and that kind of pain it's <laughs> there's nothing else like it right i mean no. there's no other thrill there's no other thrill it's, it's kind of it kind of ruins life for you because well in a way i think you know that's what drew me into like it was it was called nhb at the time nose bar fighting um what we call mma now was you don't get anything else like wrestling you know there is no other thing like it this is very similar you know it's just a little different so yeah Drew, well, Drew, I just remember watching you. the first. What? No, you go ahead, go ahead. I just remember, like, I mean, I was still in high school when I watched like the first UFC. We were like freshmen, sophomore wrestlers, like didn't know shit about shit, you know. And we were watching like these huge guys in the <laughs> UFC, like elbow these guys, like smash these little guys' faces, and I'm like, that's so awesome. I want to hurt someone <laughs> like that. That looks like <laughs> great. Like in wrestling, we can't elbow and punch and stuff, but that that looks fun. Like, yeah, yeah. that that, so. that was gonna be my my question for you. Are you like a Coleman type who was like a wrestler that didn't mind a street fight, or were you like a a Gray Maynard type who was like you know a gym rat and really stayed out of trouble? Because you know, more of a gym rat. I'd say I was more of a gym rat. Yeah, I went to a really pretty prestigious Catholic high school. So, I mean, they didn't uh, put up with anything. Uh, it's kind of funny. I actually, I actually ended up, I got a great education and I actually got kicked out of high school, like the last semester of my senior year. So I didn't get to win a state championship because uh, they kicked me out with like two weeks to go in, in, till the, till the regionals. And then I didn't qualify for that because I was kicked out of school or whatever. So it was, it was pretty gay. I was pretty heartbroken because my whole life, I mean, I was the kid who woke up at like 4 a.m., ran to school, wrestled in the morning, slept through all my classes, but somehow still got really good grades. And then, you know, went to practice, trained all day, all night. And then I went to karate practice. And I just did that every single day for four years. Man. So. You know, I agree. I mean, Drew, I think the one yeah. thing, the one takeaway just by like from an overview of looking at your career, you've always been in shape. Always. Well, I wouldn't say that, but <laughs> for, for the fights I trained for, I was in shape. Yeah. <laughs> so for the, for the fights where I had a chance to win some money, like what do you got, Chris, like seven or nine fight of the night bonuses? Six. That's no, that's awesome. just five the night, but I had a couple other like knockout and submission, all that stuff. So, they yeah, got 10 I mean, total when, when you get when you get bonuses like that, you don't even care if you win or lose. It's great. I only got one against <laughs> Carol Parisian, and you know it was a good fight. He won. Man, I was like, wow, that's more money than I've ever seen in my life. It, it's and definitely it was, a good consolation prize. Quick. Definitely good when you like lose a fight and you're like, dang, and they give you the bonus point. Like, oh, and, you know, it's, it's not too bad. Yeah, it's pretty nice <laughs> when they're right. paying you like two thousand dollars a fight. It's like, yeah. you know, and also it almost it almost becomes home. like a real like a real career, like an almost a real source of employment, not a hobby. Yeah. <laughs> not a hobby, exactly, man. And it's uh, yeah, it. it, it uh, I remember 
you know, just, just going out there and trying to think, man, you got to put on a fight, man. You're going to have a good chance to get fired tonight, you know, win, lose, or draw. It is what it is, you know? Yeah. Well, you're so, always an exciting one to watch. Appreciate it. Thank you, man. I remember we had a fight scheduled at one point. I don't remember exactly yeah, what happened. Fucking it day. I fucking I went to the Palms and I was I went out with Danny Lozon and we didn't even get into that much trouble. And the Palms freaking trespassed me. I don't know. I wasn't in dress code or some stupid thing. It wasn't even like a cool story, right? I wish yeah. it was a cool story, <laughs> but it wasn't. Like I, I think I had a tank top on in one of their special little special clubs. So they kicked me out and then they walked me outside and they trespassed me from palms for the night or whatever. Well, Dana found out about it and he fuck kicked me out of the UFC. I'm like, really? It's, it sounds about right. <laughs> I, I never heard the word, man. They just said, you gotta do, I mean, you know, they are Joseph because you gotta do a point. Chris. Yeah. All right. Well, that would have been awesome. Fuck. I know, I know man. I mean, yeah. But just no, to have good fights, fight. you know, like just to have good fights. Like that's, I mean, that's why I still compete because I want to, I want to compete. Right. I don't care yeah. about like being famous or care about like making money fighting now because now I have a business. So I'm fucking successful, but man, there's just nothing else like stepping on the mat and competing. You know, it's like, that's one thing about like some of these guys nowadays. It's like, they're so like tickety tacky with like, Oh, I don't, I don't want to take that fight. Cause it's not good for my <laughs> career or, Oh, that style just doesn't really match up well for me right now. Like fucking pussy, just fight, just fight. If you're good, or you put in the work, it, it you'll get there. If not, I mean, it's not gonna work out. And if you have an attitude like that, obviously you already have something. You see, you. you see what Sean O'Malley is saying later. Like, I don't want to fight anybody ranked because I don't get paid enough. My career has to go a certain way. And once they pay me that, I'm like, dude. They're different. Like back in the day, you didn't fight for money. You fought because you like to fight. You know, you, I, I have a problem turning down any fight. I can't do it. Or I, I don't know. I just like a, a sickness or something. These guys have no problem turning down fights. They, they, they got different mentality. We just raised different something. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I just want to compete as many times before I, as many times as I can while I still can before I die. Right. That's all I care about. So, okay. well, why don't we start with the first one? Yeah, I first fight. Very so, okay. Drew, in this, mm -hmm. in this interview, what we're going to do is we're doing a deep dive where we take a microscopic look at your career, and it's to just kind of document history, and all of our questions are Rage in the Cage related. We have no questions. I mean, they might come up cool. outside of Rage in the Cage. Let me grab uh, my... My tablet, so I can look at the list with you guys, because I, I probably don't it. remember. Probably don't remember. <laughs> Mike's got it, these. baby. Yeah, but I'm more of a reader, like word guy, so I need to be able to see it. No problem. No problem. No problem. See if this tablet still works. There we go. All right, hey Drew, let me let me take you through it, if you don't mind. All right. <laughs> Here we go. So your first fight ever on record, and I'm not saying this is obviously your first fight, Rage in a Cage 4, somehow in your first fight, you're the main event against Sean Peloso. Do you recall Was that, that your first fight? Sean Peloso, main event. Was that your first Don't fight? We, really, we didn't really have main events back then, man. It was just a fucking square cage with no padding and a bar. <laughs> That's what we want to hear, Drew. That's the story. 
because Rage in the Cage was like the, 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 the show from down there. I mean, they ran hundreds of shows. This is Rage yeah, in the some Cage scumbag. Four. It was just some scumbag, like, getting a bunch <laughs> of guys together that wanted to fight. Roland Saria. And by the way, I miss Roland Saria because at least with Roland, you knew what you were going to get, an absolute scumbag. <laughs> and he didn't, he didn't deny it, you know. He, <laughs> he knew he was a scumbag. You know, he'd, he'd pay you $30 after f- a fight, and even though he owed you $500. And he's like, what, well, who do you think you are, Chuck Liddell? You know, whatever. But at least you knew what you were going to get. Some of these guys, they act like they're cool, and they ain't fucking cool. They're not cool. Okay, I'd rather have so, a, a jerk that's... So do you remember front. that fight? Do you remember the fight he's talking about? Yeah, I think uh, Waleed, my buddy Waleed, fought on the same card. It was our first fight. Okay, I so thought it was, was number first... two. I thought it was raising the cage too, but whatever. Let me look up the names here. What do you what do you guys use? Share dog still or we usually I, I do about three or four different uh, you know different sources. But here let's 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 just kind of concentrate on, on Peloso. So when you pulled up to the venue that day, did you have an idea that fighting would be such a huge part of your life? Yeah, I knew if I was going to be a huge part of my life since I was 10 years old and I watched freaking Seagal and Van Damme movies. Because I thought that shit was real. I thought Bloodsport was real, dude. I thought that really <laughs> happened. And Kickboxer and Tung Po. I thought all that shit was real, dude. A part of me still does. <laughs> okay, so Sean I mean, Peloso. Right? Sean Peloso. So your first MMA bout, were you training for that fight anywhere? Oh, we were just training, me and Waleed and, you know, some guys in Tucson. We just – it was always wrestling. I was always preparing to wrestle, and we were always doing karate and boxing a little bit, but I didn't learn to box until, like, a few years ago. Um, so, I don't know. We were just ready ready to go. We were always training. That's what we did for fun. We trained. Like, most How did kids, you get got hooked drunk, up with – we, we just trained. How did so, you yeah, get hooked we up ready. with Rage in a Cage? Me and my buddy Waleed, who's my attorney now, he's a great guy, Arab guy. Don't fuck with the Arabs. Um, <laughs> we we went to an event. I think we went to Rage in the Cage one or two. Maybe that's why I thought it was two. And we saw it, and we were like, "Dude, these guys suck. We could beat their ass." Uh. So yeah. So then we were just we went back up there. We both fought, and he beat a guy he wasn't supposed to beat. That was cool. I don't know. It was fun. You know, it's cool because there was no boxing commission. And you just weighed in and it didn't really matter. <laughs> I mean, they tried to match guys up the best they could, but, yeah, you know, yeah. we just how many, uh, how many people were, do you think, were in, in attendance, man? Was it well attended? Was there a lot of people there? Like a really crowded nightclub. Cowboy yeah. nightclub. <laughs> Rock and Rodeo, maybe. I can't remember the name of it. It was up in Phoenix. It's just a bar, you know, people bar stools with a big generic like backyard cage put up. Nice. Yeah. What year was this, Mike? It was 1999. There you go. 1999. Before five years school. I love it. So from your first fight, obviously you enjoyed it. You win a decision against Sean. You wait an entire year before you step in there again at Rage in the Cage 16. April 12th, 2000, against Jamie Clark. Hmm. 
What was the you, long time off? Were you training? Yeah. Or you just didn't get a fight? Were you wrestling? What was going on that year? Why did you not do it for a year? I think maybe I got in a motorcycle accident. Oh. So you were in? Yeah, because I was trying to wrestle. I was at Pima Community College trying to wrestle. And actually, James Terry, who's a fighter in Bellator, good friend of mine, and Jamie Varner, Efrain Escudero, they were all my uh, close two teammates or actual teammates on the wrestling team. But anyway, yeah, I was trying to wrestle, and then uh, I don't know. I got a motorcycle, and you just some hotshot kid doesn't know how to drive a motorcycle, and uh, I hit some truck head on and broke my foot. Yeah, broke my foot. So I was out uh, for that time. Okay. Luckily, okay. I only broke a foot like that, man. Yeah, yeah, I was lucky. I actually got, jumped up and and cleared the truck before it just completely destroyed me. Dang. I was lucky. Holy cow. Um, so obviously it seems that you have found a home at Rage in a Cage because you got a bunch of fights there. In your third fight. Yeah, I mean, is... there was no other place to fight. Hold on, Mike. We <laughs> didn't even ask it. about how the fight went. How'd the fight go for your second one? The second one? It was a guy's uh, name, Mike. Jamie Clark. How'd I submit him? Yeah, we're naked choke. Him? Your specialty. Oh. Well, I can't really remember all those, but yeah, I mean, you know, at that time, a lot of these guys, they didn't have like, you know, I was, I was a decent, solid, like college wrestler. So these guys didn't have that kind of pedigree. A lot of them were like karate guys, or strikers or jujitsu guys, but they weren't like a solid wrestler who just take you down and rape you, you know, mm-hmm. there's just nothing they could do. They didn't have a chance. Yeah, that, that was back in the era when everybody was one discipline. What is this guy? He's a kickboxer. This guy's a wrestler. Like It was very few guys who did two. You're like, two? <laughs> yeah. They had their specialty. You know, who else had a kind of a style like mine that they were developing was Jake Shields, you know. He was a wrestler with good ground, great ground. But he wasn't like a pole guard, like Nick Diaz kind of jiu-jitsu guy, you know. He yeah. was like a take-you-down and pressure and pass and take your back and choke you out. Yeah. Yeah. Which always sure. just kind of made sense to me mathematically. Like, I mean, it, I don't know. It just seemed like the highest percentage, lowest risk way to win the fight. So absolutely. That's what I focused on. I was also the, uh, a big yeah, the MMA community is, Go ahead. I apologize. I apologize. Drew. Oh, it's okay. I was also a big fan of Marcelo Garcia. Oh yeah. yeah the greatest. Jiu-Jitsu guy of all time. Yeah, yeah, Ever. for sure. There'll never be anyone like him. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you're 2-0 at this point. The MMA community isn't that big. And uh, you go from April 12th to May 27th. So essentially, you're kind of fighting on almost every king, uh, ring, uh, rage in a cage. And you fight in Tucson against Owen Phelps, where... Once again, you secure yeah, that fight was another pretty cool. Show. That fight was pretty cool. So, like this uh, kickboxer guy, I remember he was he was uh, from some gym, some Muay Thai gym, right? So I just take him down and I armbarred him. But in the middle of the fight, after he tapped, he tapped out, and they stand us up, and he was complaining that he didn't tap out, right? <laughs> so I'm like, fuck it started again so the ref is like no you won he tapped out i'm like no he just says he doesn't tap 
do it again. So we started the fight again. And the next time <laughs> he threw some kick and it was great because he was a non-wrestler. So I got to like lift him and slam him with like the greatest WWF slam ever. You know, the kind of shit that doesn't work in a wrestling room, but against a guy who does no wrestling, man, it's uh, like throwing a, throwing a rag doll around. So I slam this guy and then I get a rear naked choke and tap him out. So I got a rear sorry. naked choke out of it. It was actually an arm. Break. It was an arm good to like get that naked choke. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's two and oh. Yeah, I, I agree. Two and oh, that thing. I think so. <laughs> get, that choke, get that choke and then just hold it and be like, are you sure this is your tap? Because this is what the last one felt like to me. <laughs> yeah. Hold that. So well, that's kind of what I do with Josh Neer. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> we'll let, me you, let, let me ask you. Let me ask you. Uh, one of Chris's questions, but uh, you got a couple of nicknames floating around, like uh, the Master, uh, Night Rider, Night Rider. Well, like, which was your favorite? Like, what, what's your nickname? Like, whichever one makes people you. laugh more because it's, it's a big joke to me. The Master. I don't know if you guys have seen it, man. I don't even know. If I remember the name of the movie. What's the name of the movie with the black dude? He's like the Jive uh, Bruce Show Lee enough. guy. The Shogun of Harlem. Yeah. Yes. What's the name of the movie? <laughs> Show no, show uh, no. The last dragon, maybe. That, that's it. it. That's it. The last dragon. That's where I got it. Me and the okay. girl are dating. The time. We watch that shit all the time. It's hilarious. I thought it was funny. Yeah. It's not. It, it's. I'm like joking about people calling themselves the master. Actually, yeah. That's God. how I originally came up with it. Some would argue. Night Rider. I don't know. Night Riders is great because John Randall screams Night Rider. Minnesota Vikings defensive tackle, and he got it. From Mad Max, Mel Gibson, uh, and uh, the guy who runs around. <laughs> does that in a Mad Max movie? So, uh, so, so the both old school names then. Huh? You know, in terms yeah. of like nicknames, Frank Shamrock nicknamed himself the Legend. So you can't nickname yourself like that. Stupid. I don't yeah, know. Stupid. You gotta, joke, you gotta be funny, man. You gotta joke around. If you can't yeah. make fun of yourself, then you're just you're not cool. Exactly. So, all right. So now you're you're writing three and oh, you're a local guy. People are starting to get to kind of understand, they're starting to hear your name. And on June 21st, so you went from May 27th to June 21st. Um, Jeff Horlocker. Ah, uh, Jeff Horlocker. You know, there was always this kid at these freestyle tournaments that we wanted to wrestle because he wore like gym shoes to wrestle and like <laughs> a t-shirt like he didn't even have a singlet he wore a t-shirt and shorts and in shoes like real shoes not even wrestling shoes and that was the guy we always wanted to wrestle because we could grab him and every time five point throw right on his head oh, we, always had this, we always had this contest we were all trying to break the neck but jeff horlocker was like that guy he was the guy <laughs> that everybody nickname. wanted to fight because he was so fucking awful his nickname was the Struce Killer. Struce <laughs> Killer. Guy's got like nine kids. Oh my gosh. Yeah, the Struce Killer. I fought him like two or three times. I think my whole team, everyone fought him on my team, except <laughs> Seth Bazinski. Seth Bazinski always wanted to fight him. He's like, oh, I want to fight the Struce Killer. I'm like, sorry, man. We all got the opportunity. I, I don't know what he's doing now. Uh, he probably has a broken neck. <laughs> 
Well, you know, actually, he did knock out a pretty tough guy. He knocked out this guy, Eddie Arismendi, somehow. So he did have fight in him. Yeah. But just he's cool. a locker room hero. He saved shows. He was the guy. He was a that locker room hero. He, he got paid a little bit more than everybody else, and it wasn't to win. Yeah, it was yeah. going there and get beat up pretty by much. the good guys. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So after you get through with the, the Struis killer, which you survived once you again. By. With a uh, you squeeze by with a rear naked show. You get your first nice guy. real big fight. To this. He doesn't get too upset at me, but come on, come yeah. on, Jeff. Could have put a little hey. more time into this sport. So <laughs> you you get a you get your first real big fight, in my opinion. Right now you're four and zero. You got three subs, one one decision. And July 26, two thousand, they throw you up against Bill Cameron, who's. The cannon. Four subs, four submissions, uh, four decisions, four subs. He's eight no. This is Ooh. a legit tough test for you. Yeah, it's a tough one. Yeah, he was pretty good. He was pretty good. How'd the fight go? Do you remember? Yeah, I dominated him against the cage, like dirty boxing. Took him down a couple times. He was like, man, he he was probably like 35. 35 like he was up there in age compared to compared to me at the time yeah i mean i was just too much physically for him i think and then with the wrestling but he was tough remember he, he took me down at the end you know and uh punched me in the punch me cu- caused my first uh cut so that was the first time i ever got stitches in a fight Man. yeah it was pretty cool nice, nice guy was, was that a title fight Phoenix. Uh, what do you consider a title fight they did, give you a belt? Uh, yeah, did did Roland? I don't think like, spend so. I don't think, Roland ever, I don't think Roland ever invested in belts. <laughs> I think that was out of his uh, overhead expenses. <laughs> so, so at, at, at this point, um, when he's putting like other fights, are they becoming more popular, more crowded? I mean, is he getting a good following? Yeah, Roland's making money. But at least, are you are you guys getting paid at all for these? <laughs> Not much. I think, uh, you know, $75, $100. Uh, <laughs> uh, I didn't he's care. A der- I know, I, I know. Just, I'm the I, same way. I didn't give a shit, but I'm not saying that's smart. But, hey, I just wanted to beat. I didn't care. And it's not like these guys are, you know, world beaters. So, whatever. Yeah. Good point. Now, now you say – in, in general, you're right that the matchups and things like that, and obviously with, with your pedigree, you you were ahead of the game. But there were good guys coming through that show. Homer Moore, eventually Diego Sanchez showed up. You mentioned a couple of your your teammates that also did MMA. Was there starting to be a scene down there, like you know, where you were beginning to take it more seriously, or was it still straight a hobby? No, it was pretty much just a hobby. I mean, it was just a lot of fun, you know. I got to wrestle, basically, and compete without dealing with the, the bullshit of organized sports or, mm. you know, the authority of a coach and a college, yeah. that kind of thing. So I was my own coach. I was my own boss. and I didn't have to listen to anyone except myself, which is both good and bad. But at the time, that's what I was looking for. So that's what I got. Mm. Okay, that's fair. So, in regards to Miguel saying that the scene is about to build, <clears throat> and you're kind of taking it as a hobby, your next fight, September 24th, is against Ryan Bowe. 
Who's Ryan who Wilson? Is, he's yeah. a stud. Yeah. <laughs> really? You guys know who Ryan <laughs> oh, It's Miguel's <laughs> favorite fighter. It's, it's not the same guy. Yeah. It's not the same guy? guy? No, no, no. Ryan Bow that you're thinking of, Mike, is obviously the guy who fought in Shudo from the early days. Yeah. Fought Takanori Gomi and stuff. And I think he met, uh, you're looking at a guy named Ryan Brown. He also fought Edwin DeWeez. So he's got a couple of tough fights on him, but it's not the same guy. Okay. Okay. So your co-main event there, once again, you stop him in the first round. And, um, you know, your your record is climbing. You know, you're, you're 6-0. and Did you knock him out or did I choke him out? KO. Yeah, it says KO punches a minute 16. And that this Ryan Bow was not the same one. <laughs> it's That's why he goes for really argument's sake. Tough. For argument's sake, it's the correct Ryan Bow that's Miguel's favorite fighter, not the Ryan Bow that everybody else thinks. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so after that, September, you, you got a quick turnaround. October fourth, Michael Chavez, you're fighting on every single event that yeah. Rage in the Cage throws. Yeah. Awesome. You know, you, you beat Michael Chavez. Yeah, I think I punched him in the stomach. He was uh, he was terrible. <laughs> I think I just threw that guy down on the ground and, like, punched him in the stomach one time, and he was, like, done. It's like, okay. So, um, are, are, like, when, when, you're, when you're getting these quick fights, you know, are you just, like, right away going back to him, like, who's next? Put me on the next one because, I mean – these aren't really challenging for you. It's like, hey, man, do you want me to fight next? I want to do this every – and you're doing like every three weeks. Is that kind of game plan? Yeah, whatever event they had, I just wanted to fight. So we fought it pretty much every weekend. That was right. that was awesome. And there was no boxing commission to deal with. So I didn't have to deal with anyone's bullshit. It was great. All right, so it I've was, got a theory. It was really the best time. Like, I mean, the competition the could have been a little better, but whatever. I call it the Wild West days, man. The Wild West, anything way. You can do whatever you want <laughs> Yeah, imagine being able to do what you want without some sort of government approval. That's 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 crazy talk. You can't, hey, can't brother, talk like I'm, that anymore. I'm a straight libertarian. That's what I want, the smallest government possible. <laughs> <laughs> Less government, more responsibility. I hear you, brother. Exactly. Hey, um, so here we go. I, I got a theory, and I kind of pitched this to Miguel. Uh, that's October 4th, 2000. Obviously, you're not a big fan of Roland. Uh, the promoter for uh, Rage in the Cage. Well, was kind of didn't know any better. I just well, October. Know he was come back later. Yeah, October twelfth. <laughs> you fight at the Absolute Fighter Challenge in Tempe. Was this like a rival promotion that came in and you kind of wanted to help them out? It was just some other fight. I think it was at the Cajun House, which is some bar in uh, Scottsdale. You, you fought uh, Cedric Marks. Yeah, he was a lot better than like the rest of these turds. <laughs> I duck under, I ducked him, I ducked him with a, <laughs> he grabbed my wrist and I ducked him and I took him down and choked him out. But he was pretty good. Yeah. Well, I mean, he was 14 and I five. I could just feel, yeah, I could just feel like, okay, this guy's a little stronger than everybody else. But I just had to use a different angle, you know, like not just power through him like I could the other guys. So I had to be a little more technical with my transition. Mm-hmm. Nice. Who was the promoter for that event? Do you remember? I couldn't tell you. The guy had a few more shows, but you know he wasn't like a staple in in cage fighting society like Roland Saria. Hmm. 
Yeah, I'm surprised. You know, I mean, you get an opportunity for competition against Rage in a Cage. I figured that there would be a couple of horses surrounding it because um, there was a couple shows. Yeah, there was a couple of shows that would pop up. Besides, I think I fought in a couple of shows around the Arizona area uh, around that same time that weren't Rage in the Cage. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I, I figured with Roland having a gym, a lot of the people fighting on his shows may have kind of supported an outsider more than they, they would have him. Yeah, I don't know. I think people just wanted to get drunk and watch the fights. I don't think they really cared. <laughs> okay. All right. So your next ask, one, Jerry Parsons. Hold on. Hold on. I, I want to ask a quick question because we're still in the early days, but Arizona – I mentioned a couple of people like what about like Arizona combat sports and like the Lolly brothers and stuff. Did you ever run across them or cross train with them or spend any time there or were they yeah, on your I, radar I, at all? I, I was the first fire to fighter to fight out of their gym in the UFC. I fought, I trained there for like three years. Cool. Oh. What was your overall impression of them from the early days? I mean, they helped me out a lot. They helped me get, you know, a lot better than I was. Uh, that's good. Real, real quick, a question here. Like, politically, I mean, they, they ended up um, kicking me out of their gym, too. So, whatever. <laughs> I, I understand. We, we, you know, I know sometimes, you know. It is what I've it had, is. I, I've actually had a few beers with you at the Abu Dhabis and stuff. So, I know. I know yeah, how sometimes. I remember. <laughs> that was before I got, you know, less remembering. Yeah. <laughs> so. So, like, politically there, like, John McCain was a big one who was anti-UFC and this and that. Is there any blowback from fights going on out there in Arizona or not really? Dominic Kane? John McCain. Uh, John McCain. John McCain was a senator who called a human cop. Oh, yeah, I mean, we heard about that, but, I mean, I didn't follow politics at the time, so I was kind of clueless. Okay, but there, there was never any, like, people trying there to see just, down nah, nah, they were just, you know, just making a political issue out of nothing so they could talk about something. You know, okay. They didn't really care one way or the other, honestly. Okay. I mean, they did care if they could get the boxing commission in on it, make some, make some bread, right? That's, exactly. That was that was the con. So regulation. Yeah, that was what they could, you know, say. Oh, be afraid, be afraid of people dying in a cage fight. Well, if we bring in the state government body, we'll make sure everyone's safe. Well, and you can pay us a little bit of money, just a, just a little bit. Well, here's here's a funny thing about that. You know, John McCain was at a boxing match where somebody died. Yet he's talking about MMA how brutal it is and how it's human kind. I'm like, hey, you were you were ringside when somebody died, brother. Is that not a problem? Oh, yeah, you got a bunch of people, stock in Budweiser now. Okay, I see. Now it makes sense. You're fine. Never mind. These these people's hypocrisy is oozing with irony, right? It's knows no bounds. Disgusting. It knows no bounds. There is no limits. <laughs> Okay, so you've got a real interesting kind of like little footnote. November 8th, 2000, you fight in Ring in the Cage 22 against Jerry Parsons. You win via rear naked choke. But then 11 days later, you're fighting for Rage in the Cage in Tucson against like a stud from Brazil named Agnaldo Lima. And I say stud because it was kind of like the beginning days of understanding of MMA. And he was a Shaolin boxer from Brazil. So one of these TMA comp people brought him in as an instructor because, you know, Brazil was like the hot thing at the time. It was just a TMA. How do you find out so much information about these guys? <laughs> it's 
my I'm job. Serious. I'm the MMA detective, bro. It's my job. He's like a crazy ex-girlfriend just stalking it's, you, brother. It's, it's true. <laughs> I mean, I didn't even know that about that dude. All I know is he was like 230 pounds and supposedly worked as a bouncer at some club down the street. And wow. I remember before, before I fought, he was like doing these like, these exercises in this real deep, like, I guess you would call it a Shaolin stance. And he was like, I cannot be beaten. I cannot be beaten. I will not be defeated. While he's warming up. And we were looking at him. We're like, whoa, we got this guy. (laughs) <laughs> and I just remember going out and I mean he went right down to the ground and got choked out. I don't know. He was like 232, he's a big guy. Another how nice, long was the nice thing about no weight classes? How long oh. was he doing that for? That little cadence. Oh, 15 minutes at least. <laughs> oh my god. That's why he I remember it, it so well. Oh yeah, he was committed, bro. He was he <laughs> believed every word. It wasn't like he was faking it or trying to like trying to work up his confidence, you know? Like, sometimes you, you see guys yelling and screaming, and you're like, oh, yeah, I got this guy. Yeah, he's fucking scared <laughs> shitless. No, no, he was like, he was about it. He believed all the fucking, the whole thing. He thought he was the Shaolin master. Now, like you said, Mike said, every match we're looking at here, you're winning by rear naked choke. I mean, is that just because he's just saying, I mean, is, are people not picking up on this yet? Hey, defend the neck. <laughs> Nobody's really getting it yet, huh? People still haven't gotten it, man. <laughs> uh, I love it. Well, All right, so I, mean, I see, it, I see it, I see it. Like now, man, I see these guys. They they have the back, and they're just like trying to punch the guy. I'm like, what are you doing? Uh, just choke him out. <laughs> this isn't like this isn't rocket science, man. Just choke him out. No, you just got to sit there and punch him because. That's what we do now. We just punch people. Okay. <laughs> Whatever. My guys so, will go for the choke. Yeah. We also got to kind of take into context the time. Right around this period, you had natural-born people from the United States, like second, third generation, walking into a jiu-jitsu gym. And within three months, they have they speak like pigeon English because they're having difficulty with the language because they're pretending that they have like some Brazilian effect on them. Well, trust me. I mean, it's, it was kind of rampant at that time. And when I saw that guy on your record, I'm like, and I really do. I spent, I spent about 30 minutes trying to figure that situation out. Yeah. He was from a TMA gym <laughs> and well, you know, you we got our out, Brazilian. If you can figure out why he was so adamant about yelling that shit before the fight, that would be pretty sweet. Yeah. <laughs> So your next fight, this is actually a very interesting one as well. You fight for Cajun fights, December 2nd, 2000. Mo Doom, who came onto the scene, he was 2-0 and at the time, and obviously you've, you've built your record up. The thing with Mo Doom is he, can't, he comes in, gets a win over Shannon Rich in his first fight, who at that time Shannon was actually doing real fights, and... <laughs> He also has got a win over Joe Stevenson, Joe Daddy Stevenson. Whoa, you're kidding me. No, his third fight's against Drew Fickett. Wow. That's interesting. You want to walk is us through good? Let me guess. Rear naked choke? Yes. <laughs> Maurice Wilson. 
Maurice Wilson. God, that name sounds familiar. <laughs> Thought he says Mo Doom. Mo Doom, yeah, bro. Mo Doom. Come on, man. Mo Doom was his nickname. Okay. Which was this one in Tucson or in uh, Phoenix? It said Cajun fights. I couldn't get much information on it. Oh, it's not, okay. That was the one I was thinking. Uh, that's the one I was thinking where the guy was a little better, I think. Okay. And I hit a duck under and choked him out. Okay. Yeah, you got another rear naked choke. And like, it's, it's kind of like, you know, Babe Ruth calling the home run shot. Like you're, you're getting that same move over and over and people aren't figuring it out. And now that's December I mean, 2nd, 2000. I'm all assuming you have to you do is take the guy down and get behind him. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I think hitting a home run is definitely a lot more so, aggressive than choking someone out. <laughs> at this point, you've only fought for eight months in the year of 2000 because your first fight in the year 2000 was in April. Wow. Yeah. You're 10 and 0. So, like, us armchair guys, just, just in, 2000, in the year 2000, us armchair guys are going, man, dude, dude's got to take a break. Hell of a year. I mean, that's, that's savage numbers. And you take a fight four days later against Chemo Stant, again, in Rage in a Cage, just to get one Kimo more in. Stant. Yeah. Kicked him in the face. And then I choked him out. <laughs> you could have won by probably not. Like, no, uh, I got a streak going here. I got to keep these chokes going. Well, if you oh, so if you hurt someone, if you hurt someone, I mean, why not just choke them out? I've seen yeah. guys, you know, they get they get rocked and you try to like finish them, and it's great if you can finish them. But I mean, if they're giving you the choke, I mean, you might as well just choke them, make it easy on them. Yeah, for sure. Well, what's the mindset there? Taking a fight four days apart, just still kind of easy going. It was, it was there. Yeah. It was there. Yeah. <laughs> no injuries that you're not are you fighting banged up a little bit or are you really skating through here no yeah i'm completely healthy yeah <laughs> well i mean it keeps you out of trouble i mean it's you know where you're at on the weekends because the thing about yeah, it i mean the, it gives me something uh, to do the thing about it at this point though you, he's starting to come on the national radar you know i know he's oh, sure. you know fight fighting down there uh and 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 stuff, but that's a hell of a year he had. And at least Roland Saria did did the job of you know putting results in full contact fighter and yeah, on the internet and stuff like that. Got, he definitely got us a little recognition, so it wasn't bad. So are, are you feeling like you're taking it a little bit more serious now and like hey, this is a real thing, or is it still just going out and having fun? Just having fun. Okay. All right, and a side note, which is really interesting. So Drew in eight months gets is eleven and zero in the year two thousand. Wow! Rage in the Cage does eleven events over a three month period. Jeez, I, I just I, <laughs> like there's no way he's not divorced. They they used to have I don't even know if the guy was married at the time, but they used to have man. I mean, we, there was there was events where they would have fights till like 2 a.m. because there was like 27 people on the card man you know he just mm-hmm. he just had guys come sign up and you fight i mean he took he took me a little more seriously because he had to find me like someone that wasn't like you know 
a janitor completely like only a part-time janitor but you know he uh he had a lot of fighters because okay. he had a lot I of janitors too. i don't think yeah, there was any boxing yeah so it, it, during this period of time you fought on a couple events that weren't his so yeah. my belief and I, I might be wrong on this is that on december that was your last fight, but your next fight's in March. So you, you took a little period off, probably a normal period. It's, you know, for everybody else. But well, you have to understand also, 30... you have to understand, Mike, like I was just taking people down and choking them out. So well, it wasn't but, like I was sitting there getting punched in the face or anything. But I think he was mad at you. And the reason is. Oh, Roland? Is yeah, probably. <laughs> Rage in the Cage 34, he puts you up against Edwin Dewey's and Ooh. you lose a split decision at 170 yeah, pounds. Yeah, I didn't lose. That was bullshit. He was like, first of all, he was like 220, but I don't care. Yeah. Second of all, I didn't lose that fight. I didn't lose that fight. Now, now was you think it was, was Edwin their boy? Is that what it was? I have no I, idea. I mean, that was when they first started doing a box commission. So I don't think, I mean... The boxing they commission know. has judges, and I, I think they were impartial. Honestly, I just I don't think, think they, they knew what they were watching. I right? see. I, I get. I don't it. think they understood what they were watching. So personally, I mean, I beat, him, I, beat him, I beat him. I beat him by less the second time, and the judges gave me a unanimous decision. And besides that, you know, after the fight, after that cooled down, I saw the judges again a couple more fights later. Whatever, they're like you know. We watched that fight again, and we really screwed that up. Really? Like, we – yeah, I mean, whatever. It's a I huge mean, fight. It was pretty gay because it was, like, my first loss, technically. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I still didn't consider it a loss. Like, whatever. They can put that on my record, but – How'd the fight go? Did, he, did you take him down a lot? Did he take you down? How'd it go? Yeah, I took him down a lot. I punched him in the face a lot. I had more position than him. He, he had had a guillotine on me, so like for a minute. And I remember I had a st- I I he I was standing up, so he had jumped with the guillotine, and he was like 220 pounds. Oh man! And I was like walking around at 165 at the time, so it was a lot of weight to hold up. Yeah. So I just held him up and it fought through the choke, and that was like the only thing you could say like, oh, maybe an almost submission. Yeah. But other than that, like it was just total. Total domination by wrestling, by ground. Yeah, little little striking there was. It was striking for me to enter and take him down. Now, is is a it probably wasn't even three five minute rounds back then. Was it like one ten minute? I mean, how they how was the round? I mean, I didn't usually do rounds. It might have been three three minute rounds. Yeah, that's what it's listed here. May have been. Yeah, yeah, may have been three threes. So you're 12 and 0 at that fight. Edwin Dewey's was 18 and 5. The main event was Joe Riggs versus Homer Moore, which is a huge fight as well. Yeah, um, I think Homer just took him down. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, outside of Joe's weight class as well. Did you and Edwin eventually train together? Not really. No, he was always over at Raising the Cage, like tr- training facility. Yeah. But I saw him a lot. I mean, I always saw him at the events. He was cool enough. I think he works in the mines now. Really? Okay. Um, 
So you're, that's March. It's your first loss. You're slowing down a little bit on the trek um, because, uh, you know what? Hold up. I apologize. December 2000 was your fight against Chemo Stance, December 6th. You took an entire year and certain months off, and then your first fight back is Edwin Dewey's, March 15, 2002. Yeah, I think that's when my motorcycle accident was. Okay. okay. Yeah, I think that's when it was. Because I remember I remember now because uh, I remember coming back with a lot more piss and vinegar after I was hurt. The gift of injury, you know? Yeah, for sure. Kind Would you still go to the events? What happened to me recently. Uh, no, I would just stay in Tucson and train because I was on crutches. So, okay. I mean, train, do what I could, right? Like lift and stuff, but there wasn't a lot I could do for quite some time. But you didn't like go and watch the fights or anything? I may have, but I mean, teammates fighting or anything? I mean, I didn't really have any like teammates other than maybe Waleed at the time. Wow. Still were training. Huh? You still were training with like a, a big team at this point? Not a big team. There was a gym called the Ultima, Charles Allen and Tucson. And they were like okay. kind of like the first like traditional Brazilian jiu-jitsu gym. We didn't have any guys doing the fake Brazilian accent, but <laughs> they were showing like actual Brazilian jiu-jitsu moves, which I had never been much of like being on my back, right? So when I got hurt, I put the gi on and I trained the whole time on my back. Mm. And I trained yeah. the guard and I had to because I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't do anything else. So, and that's actually how I met Gustavo Dantes was through the Ultima because they had, he, did, he had a seminar there. So I ended up training with Gustavo Dantes, who is a real, real good, like practical application sports jujitsu guy. I think he won nationals in Brazil. They they try to say it's world, but it's really just nationals. And um, at that time, anyway. And then that's he 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 did uh, jujitsu for uh, Arizona Combat Sports with the Lallies. Yeah, he's freaky, kind of tall, long, lanky. I, lanky. I don't know how to describe just him. Yet. Real good butterfly guard. You know, a lot of my butterfly stuff. That's that's where I got got good at it. I would even say once you figured your back like you're like doing jujitsu from your back most of your rear naked chokes started coming from that position it was actually almost like easier for you to, to get that position yeah yeah i'd say so yeah that's I'd interesting so so go ahead Miguel. I, I was just gonna i was just gonna notice he he gave props to marcelo garcia as the best of all time and that really is what marcelo specialized at is Always take the back. Always take the back. Always from no matter what what position. So it's very interesting that uh, you know that you'd mastered it early in your career, sort of on your own on instinct as well. Yeah, I mean, I was definitely trying to emulate what he was doing because it just made sense to me. And back then, we had I had like his teaching teaching videos on VHS, so or maybe it was CD or whatever, but. We didn't have like like nowadays these guys they have and I I use there's a there's a martial arts channel called the Modern Martial Artist by David Christian I don't know if you guys have ever checked out that channel it 
it covers all kinds of fight techniques with specific fighters and really breaks it down and gets like linear and goes over the alignment and the angles. And, like it's, it's amazing. It's really helped my, my skill fighting wise. Anyway, mm-hmm. these guys now, I mean, they can like, Oh, I'm, I'm not good in this position. They can look up a thousand videos on YouTube, right. As reference. Mm-hmm. I mean, back then all I had was the VHS cassette of Marcelo Garcia. So <laughs> these guys don't understand like what it's not, or what it's like, like not to be able to look up on the internet, the reference to like some of these mm-hmm. techniques. I mean, it, that's amazing. And a lot of the guys, they don't even use it. They don't even realize, like I, I, I help with a wrestling team, Sunnyside high school wrestling team down in Tucson. And you know, I don't, I don't think they really watch the techniques for the most part. Like some of us older guys that appreciate the reference of the internet and the things that you have available at your fingertips, such as like techniques or looking up an inside trip that some Russian Kazakhstan does or whatever, you know, like, I don't know. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. The information that's available fight wise and fight technique wise. And those instructionals weren't cheap. No, yeah. no, they're like a hundred bucks. Uh, yeah 150 and 250 i think you yeah. had to buy all of them yeah yeah instead of the six you know <laughs> yeah yeah so you, you take your first loss obviously not a good experience for anybody and generally speaking people like who like like in a softer bounce back fight and drew may 3rd 2002 fights an eight and one john lansing and yeah, beats him by RTC armor guy yeah rtc guy one of Edwin's like main training guys. Yeah. Remember, he had highlights in his hair. <laughs> was do, do you think it was kind of like almost like an unfair advantage or not a level playing field because the promoter also had his own gym, whose fighters also fought on his own show, and he's lining you up against them? Oh yeah, I mean he was definitely trying to set. I mean. I didn't care who I was going to fight. I was going to be whoever I came up against, but like some of the guys that were, I would train with, you know, he would definitely try to set them up. I mean, there was always this funny thing going on where like everybody in the red corner was supposed to lose. Like me and Waleed were in the red corner the night that we, uh, we first fought raising the cage and he fought Edwin type Dewey's guy from RITC training center. And he was obviously supposed to fuck, supposed to lose, but, we, we both of us won. I think we were the only winners out of the red corner. <laughs> so like, we started to realize like, hey, he put all his guys over in the blue corner, and he tried to pick these guys for his guys. But I mean, it happens. He's a promoter. He owns his own gym. There's no boxing commission. What the hell do you want, right? Nothing. Just want to compete. You know what though? There, there's nothing better than being the guy who's supposed to lose and win it. You know what I mean? That's that's oh, that's yeah. A good- yeah. That's, you that's know what's rough though? Feeling. Being a guy that's supposed to lose and you're in your own hometown. Like you're supposed <laughs> to travel to have that feeling. True. Yeah, this is true. So but you have a, you more, a canceled more bout. The guys there, you know? Yeah. You've got, you've got a canceled bout against Scott Morris and you take five months off where you, from what I understand, John Lansing requested a rematch because you arm barred him in the first round. And, um, it's an interesting card. Um, do you want to walk us through the second Lansing rematch and I'll get to the card? Yeah, I was, I was working at uh, some, some bar as a bouncer in Scottsdale at the time. And they wanted to make me like the main event, but I was like, no, I got to work. So can you guys let me fight first? 
So they were like, yeah, you can fight first. I'm like, cool. Well, I'm going to fight first. Then. And I was training with the Lallies at the time, working on my kickboxing. So the second fight, I just worked on my kickboxing and didn't try to choke him. Mm. Huh. So on that card, the main event. I think I won by decision, right? You did. You won by decision. Yeah. Yeah. I was trying to trying to kickbox with him. <laughs> um the main event that night, it's it's like I, I had mentioned my theory about Edwin Dewey's, and this kind of is where where I got it from. Todd Medina beats Edwin Dewey's and get and then they overturned the decision due to an early stoppage by the referee. <laughs> Hold on, what? It's just it's got promoter written all over it. What's that mean? An early stoppage. So so Medina is putting it on him. The the ref stops it. And they declare that the ref made a mistake. Yeah, and, so it's a no yeah, contest. I, I, okay. Is that, is no that so then they Medina? give it to then they give it to Edwin? No, they just made it a no uh, contest. I thought you said they gave it to him. I was like, how's no. that work? Uh-uh. So it was a no contest. It was a no contest. Okay. I, mean, I was going to say. That's got to be Rollins doing, right? Yeah, 100%. 100%. Yeah. Dewey's is probably no a ticket line. Dewey's is for sure a ticket seller. He lined him up against you. He gets a controversial uh, win versus yourself. And then, like, a, like one fight later, you know, he, he's got a, a no contest that's overturned due to an accidental referee stoppage. So I just kind of figured he was kind of doing you in. Joe Riggs on that card also uh, got – he went over Herb Dean. Herb Dean, the rap. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah, I remember that. I think Joe knocked his two, two, teeth, two front teeth at, at, at the same yeah. time. So. Did you ever fight Joe, Chris? Yeah, I fought him in the UFC, actually. Uh, I, I felt like things were going uh, pretty good. I'm on top of him, and I'm, out, I'm, I'm passing guard, and uh, – he threw an up elbow from the bottom and cut me open one by. Oh, with the reverse triangle thing on your head and arm, right? No, no, no. That was a different fight. But uh, I'm, I'm passing guard, and uh, he threw an elbow from the bottom and cut me open yeah. and bit me by cut. But uh, no, I was just passing it. Uh, oh, the the reverse triangle was something else. Cut. Yeah, man, yeah. I, was, I was pissed. I remember okay. I remember at one point, like, uh, I'm in there, and, and – you know, it's a bad cut. It's bleeding bad, and they and they got pressure on them doing this. And after about a minute, I go, I think, I think I can keep going. And John McCarthy looks at me real crazy. Goes, the fight's over. And I looked around, and like the ring card girls are in the doctor. They're about to announce. I didn't even know the fight. Okay, we're done. No, well, no shame in that one. He's he was <laughs> yeah. at that time. He was like a super freak athlete, man. Oh, he could hit, man. I mean, he was strong as an ox. He came having, down like, from heavyweight. I know. I remember. He I was like 240. Take, I never tried to take anybody down. And at that, he like came and started underhooking me and I tossed him in the headlock and uh, I got on top. But I remember like I, I came and trained there with him for like two weeks after that one time. And I don't think I took him down once. That dude is legit in the gym, man. He's, he's tough to deal with. He's real good in the gym. Yeah. Very tough. Yeah. yeah. He came down from heavyweight and maintained his power. That's, that's frightening. That's frightening. Um, so you go from John Lansing, you take an additional five months off. And it, it, what's interesting about this card is actually fought on the undercard. Uh, Sean Beckett, you win by rear naked choke in the second round. Oh, yeah, Sean Beckett was legit. Yeah. That dude was like the most legit guy I fought up to that point. 
for sure. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He was a Nick Diaz guy. Yep. Yeah, he was real good. Real good boxing. He's like one of those, like, wiry guys. Like, wiry, really wiry guys. Like, kind of skinny. But, like, surprisingly strong for his frame. And he could hit. He hit hard. I don't know if I've ever been hit harder by anyone than that guy. Because we were trading blows. And I, I felt like I was getting the better of him a little bit on my feet. But then he hit me with something. And I went back to my corner in the first round. And I was like, to Trevor. Yeah, Trevor. Because there's brothers. But Todd was in Vegas at the time. Trevor was like, yo, you all right? I'm like, dude, my fucking eye hurts. Like, that, like in, like, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, in the nasal, like, <laughs> I'd never felt something like that before. I'm like, man, it it really hurts. I've never felt pain in a fight before. Like, yeah. So I went out there. I'm like, fuck this. And I took him down and choked him out. <laughs> um, you know, what's interesting is Jamie like, Varner. Stand up and get better. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Get better all around. Yeah. So Jamie yeah. Varner's on the undercard and he cl- his record climbs. climbs to two and one. He went against Dave Klein that night, right? My buddy yeah. Dave Klein. Yeah. Dave, dirty Dave. That dude's a federal agent, though. Um, really? Yeah, Dave Klein's awesome. He's great. Hey, so I got a question for you. You, said- you guys would actually love talking with that dude about all this stuff. He could really stir the pot. <laughs> but, yeah, Dave Klein beat him, beat him the whole fight. He gets freaking triangle choke. Because we weren't, like uh, – I was more boys with Dave then because Dave trained with us. Jamie was from Phoenix at the time. So, like, <clears throat> we were, you know, rooting for Dave because he basically trained out of our gym. But he freaking beat Jamie the whole fight. I mean, it's just a bunch of wrestling matches, right? Like, <laughs> no one really, no one like knew how to strike, you know? Like, there was like very few guys in that era that like were, you know, decent strikers like Chris and Joe. Like, the, most of the guys were wrestlers. So it was a wrestling match and Dave was winning, but he got trying to choke the last like 30 seconds. Were you surprised that Jamie just didn't take to MMA as fast? As he should have, because he was two and one at this point. What do you mean, take that? Well, here he was trouble with Dave, and he had dropped one prior to that. I think he dropped his first fight. I don't think he was really ever into it, man. I don't. I don't think he was like really into it. Into it, you know. Wow. Interesting. More like more of like a more of like a status thing for him. Yeah. you know, I don't want to get into his that. family, but we'll just say maybe some trouble with his family growing up. So he, he had something to prove. So he had something to prove. There's nothing wrong with that. I just don't think he came from the, the, the place where I came from, where it was like, I just love to compete. Mm. I don't even care what happens. Like, I just want to compete. And actually, that's a funny story because I started training with Jamie Um when I moved up to Phoenix, I was training with Gustavo Dantas and Arizona combat Academy. And I went on this killer spree that I think ended up getting the UFC's attention. But one of the fights was against Kenny Florian. And that fight wasn't even my fight. That was Jamie Varner's fight. And he got in a fight with his girlfriend and called off the fight because they were going to having a little tiff. And so <laughs> it, it, I didn't even know who the guy was. Right whatever so i took the fight and yeah they helped out my career a lot yeah 
<laughs> I, I got a question for you. Take you still on that same night with Dave. You said you fought a Nick Diaz student that was legit. Yeah. Was, was Nick there? Was because that Brady Spence was. No, was I don't that... think Nick was there till the second time I fought Sean Beckett in a in a four man tournament all in one uh, night. I wonder how that goes because those guys, you know, with their two hundred nine attitude and stuff, and I know, you know, you're not a guy who's going to let people, you know punk you disrespect you or anything like that backstage or anything like that so i'm we'll get to that i guess when mike takes us there <laughs> just, just see if there was any problems with them that's all yeah yeah i never had any problems i mean i don't know i just don't think i'm one of those guys like that people talk shit to okay because no, no, no. i'm also like i'm i'm like respectful too right like i'm not like and I think people realize that I don't care about that. Like, I don't know. They're not going to get a rise out of me, right? Like, whatever. Yeah. I mean, you know the Diaz. I feel like if you're a real fighter and you, and you like, don't go there and uh, talk like that and just make it out to be something that's not, and you're like, yeah, they're going to be cool with you if, even if you win, I think. But if you go out there and you're, I'm doing this, and you're bragging and you're, 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 if you're kind of phony, oh, they they're gonna hate you, man. They're gonna they're gonna fight you then. But I mean, I think if you're yeah. good about it, like, I mean, I think maybe because I kind of share the same attitude that they have deep down, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, Drew's everything but phony. That's not that's not it at all. But like, and, if you remember in the Abu Dhabis, you you pissed a couple of the Brazilians off. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't me. That was Santino. Okay, I got you. That's cool. We'll get we'll get to that. I'm jumping yeah. ahead, Mike. Yeah, I'm yeah, sorry. No, Drew, <laughs> Drew, your career is absolutely fascinating. Like when you when you kind of dissect it. And at this point, so that's July 7th, 2000, or June 7th, 2003, you then make the trek to Washington. I think you start living up there um, because you fight on the ultimate cage fighting championship against Landon Showalter. Oh, yeah, I wasn't living in Washington. You weren't. We had a couple fights up there. Mike, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. Uh, Trevor Trevor Lally was from Washington. Uh, connection. So he got me a fight up there in some casino. Yeah. I lost to some guy. I lost to some guy I should not have lost to. But it pays off later, mm-hmm. and we'll get to that. I'm going to use the restroom for guys. Excuse me. You, you, you want a little trivia on this fight, Mike? Go ahead. I was the matchmaker. <laughs> <laughs> no way. Yeah, I was. That's why I I'm love Miguel. I'm looking at it. it was it was what I was working with Hume on a couple of his shows, and these were like mainly <clears throat> kickboxing shows. There's only one other MMA fight that day, and it's Charlie Pearson against Edson Denise, who's one of Lambert's guys, and Edson won the hook and shoot belt or AFC belt from Charlie that day. So, so well, how did you decide to match? Obviously, Drew Fick, did you just want to get a peek at him? Because, I mean, you were uh, here. He's, you were yeah, kind but, of like a nosy guy. You wanted to get a little peek in a, you know different pockets of the United States as well as Europe. Was this kind of like your opportunity to get a firsthand glance of Drew Fickett? Look, Landon, the guy he fought, is – from the Dennis Hallman, Matt Hume school. And he was a guy that they were going to be looking to feature. Like, I think later on his career became kind of like, like a mini Pat Healy where he took some losses and stuff, but he's a tough out for anybody. Um, And I think that Drew was, uh, again, associated with Trevor 
a known quantity, but they wanted to test him. I don't remember details of the fight. Maybe Drew Drew could take us through there. You, you know what? Showalter beat uh, him with a triangle choke uh, three minutes into the first round. Drew, Drew, we were just it, it's <clears> funny. <throat> I was actually the matchmaker for this fight. Yeah, I heard you. It's crazy. <laughs> okay, okay, cool. So take take us through through what happened there because I do I do think and and if I'm I, I know myself. And I tried to like I'm I'm being told by the local guy, hey, I want to feature Landon Show Walter. He's one of our guys, and I they told me, hey, let's match him up pretty good. And I over I I overmatched him tough because I like to get guys like that beat. I did that a couple of times to Dan, a couple of times to Matt, a couple of times. So I I I don't think I I I don't think Drew was brought in here to you know to lose as a B side. So no, what, yeah, I mean, I, what do you remember? Because I don't remember much more than the business end. I remember taking the dude down and everything was fine. I passed him. I mounted him. I armbarred him. And, you know, now I know better than when you're a mount to go to an armbar and go to your back mm. ever, yeah. ever. Yeah. Right? If you're mounted, you armbar, you armbar that fucker and you stay on top. You yeah. stay on top. Even if it means losing the arm bar, then you take their back. You never, you never go mount like old school Gracie Jiu Jitsu roll to your back. But hey, maybe awesome. maybe if there's okay. five seconds left, you know. So. Yeah, exactly. Like Dennis Holman, Jens Pulver. But yeah. July of you know, 2003, so it's a eras ago. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I, I I got an arm bar, and man, I I thought I had it, and he ended up getting on top and standing up. And there's a actually a beautiful photograph of me arm barring this dude. And it's just, it's a great photograph. I think it was in uh, in that Fighter magazine. The oh. Fighter, the newspaper one. Mm -hmm. Full contact fighter. fighter. Full contact, Full contact yeah. yeah, that thing. But it was it was a beautiful arm bar. Anyway, he got fucking out. And I don't know, I just, I, I was like, never been in that situation where I didn't submit the guy with something like that. And it kind of freaked mm -hmm. me out. It kind of freaked <laughs> me out. It made me real anxious. And I, I got up and I, I took him down and he caught me in a triangle and fuck. Yeah. He submitted me. It's crazy. Yeah. You're not used to losing, you know, you just, yeah. Yeah. It was kind of weird. He beat me. He definitely beat me. What, was that your first plane ride to a fight? Was that before Carlo Prater or after Carlo? It Prater? was before. Yeah. That was my first flight. To a fight. That, that might play into it too. It's it's a pretty important benchmark. You know, your first loss, your first plane ride. I mean, those it's are kind of. It was kind of the same feeling, like kind of the same kind of butterfly feeling that I'd never had before. That when I fought in the UFC the first time, mm. it was kind of that like, man, this is just weird. Like it doesn't, <laughs> yeah. it doesn't. This doesn't feel like I'm wrestling in the high school gym, right? It's like <laughs> fuck. <laughs> so. Well, he, those guys up in the uh, like the Washington area, they do a lot of scouting. Like, and they're they have no oh, yeah. shame about Hallman, it. Hallman and Benji were at that fight because of they course. were going to match me up with Dennis Hallman in uh, King of the Cage. And actually, so, that fight really helped me beat Dennis because <clears throat> he saw that fight and he's like, "Well, this guy sucks." Because <laughs> was not a good ground guy, right? He was not a good ground guy, so he didn't 
he didn't see, you know, like, he didn't see me lose the arm bar and then get caught in the triangle. He saw me get submitted by some guy who's not known for good ground. Okay. And Dennis is an absolute beast. He's a very good <laughs> friend of mine who I ended up training with later on. But he's like, well, I'm not going to take this fight seriously. And he didn't. And I did take that fight very seriously. So it helped out. It paid dividends down the road, even though I lost that fight. It really helped me beat Dennis. Which is huge. You were setting That's him up. Huge. Yeah, it was yeah. a big Which fight. Was... I was setting him up. <laughs> <laughs> Playing the long game. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, that was, his, that was Drew's very next fight. And at the time, Drew's 16-3. and three. Dennis Hallman's 32-7-1 with a pair of wins over Matt Hughes. And, oh, that and, was uh, the next fight. Oh, right. Right. So, uh, there you go. Yeah. So you beat you Dennis sure? by split well, I was decision. supposed to fight Shannon Rich. I was supposed to fight Shannon Rich the following weekend. And they wouldn't let me because now there's a boxing commission uh, and they yeah, won't let still. you, they won't let you fight week to week. You got to rest your body at least, whatever, 14 days or something. It was week. Anyway, yeah, Dennis Holman. I, I, I learned how to really, really, train with like pure unadulterated organized discipline training like hyper focus the kind of the fight? kind of training i do when i win fights for that fight for the Venus Holman fight is that when you for first that really fight won? and that's where i learned my spread mill my treadmill sprint workout that uh I, I i shared with a lot of people including dominic cruz who does it religiously to this day what, what is it what is it well, it's a real short. I can, yeah, I don't care. I give it. To, I, okay. I don't care. Anyone who wants to know it, call me up. I doubt you'll want to do it more than once. Um, it's basically uh, six intervals at a fifteen percent incline, and we use a band or a pulley system uh-huh. for a spotting for a spotting system, right? And at the fifteen percent incline, you put it on a speed that's so fast that the first one fifteen minute sprint, you can barely get through it. I mean, when I do it now, it's, uh, you know, 8.0 is good for me, but yeah. I'm 40 years old now. Yeah. I got a girl. I got a girl who just took a bronze medal in the world championships wrestling, and she does it at 10.0 miles per hour. Man. Which is tough. amazing because the, uh, the the senior high school kids, some of the high school kids that now are have, uh, you know, wrestling scholarships at some big, big-time universities, they can't do it at 10.0 miles per hour. Wow. So for for a fourteen year old girl to do it at ten point oh miles per hour, special. It's Man, she's special. I I used to do something similar training for fights. I go to this place called Acceleration Indiana, and they would hook you up on treadmills. And sometimes, I mean, it would go up to like thirty degree incline, twenty five. You know, they change it yeah. around. But I was only doing like you'd do like a, a fifteen second sprint, and then you'd get off for, and then you you know, like, like you're talking for a few seconds and. Going up, I mean, sometimes I remember doing like the 35 degree, you're only doing like six second bursts, but I hated that, man. I would do that in the morning and then I'd go into the gym at night. But I mean, yeah, I, I mean, that I kind of anaerobic that work, that kind of anaerobic work is it, it's, it's, it's more scary than a fight. I mean, that, that kind of thing. And you can, you have to like dedicate it. The workout's only like 20 minutes with warm up and cool down. Yeah. But you have to dedicate a whole, block of training time for that because you're, you're wiped out it's, oh you're done you're yeah. done so well, 
and I remember too, they, they would have, sometimes they would have uh, something like you talked about. They'd have like the big, long elastic bands on my back and they're pulling me to do, they, they did that sometimes pulling too. Pulling you I back? Pulling you yeah, back? Yeah, I mean, way to make it, it, it was like more resistance, you know, sometimes. I was like, this sucks. Oh, not to man. help you. <laughs> no. And then, uh, then they had me like throwing punches and kicks with those bands on like they have a contraption on my arms and legs. So it just, just resistance. But that play, I remember that. It was nightmares, man. I hated it. But I kept going. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, I, so I mean, go ahead. Go ahead. All right. So let me just kind of we had Dennis Hallman on as one of our first few interviews. He's the guy to have. He is. And mm-hmm. he had mentioned that like during your train or during your fight with him, he's like, Drew's a super cool guy, really social. And he's like, we had some of our teammates out drinking with them and they would keep Drew out partying in order to kind of make sure he wasn't a hundred percent for the fight. <laughs> um, yeah, a guy that, sent some girl to my room, man. I, that's at least nice. <laughs> what does <I> that mean? <laughs> wow. I sent some girl to my room. I didn't let her in. I'm like, get, get out of here. What you, what yeah. This has got that's police written all over it. <laughs> but that's, no, that's how they roll. Opinion. That's how they roll in Washington, man. That's just wow. how they roll in Washington. They're, well, you know, Miguel. Yeah, yeah, you know. Uh, Miguel's part of very friendly. They'll look for an edge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. So so yeah. tell us about the fight. How, how'd that fight go down? I, I, I've never seen it. Um, Man, I was motivated. I was hungry. Uh, I remember he came out. He threw a head kick. I blocked it. He grabbed me in the front headlock need me in the head and I was just like almost like too much respect for his guillotine right because he had ch- choked out Matt Hughes with that he was known yeah. for like his guillotine was amazing so I pulled guard he just fell down right away he was on top and then I don't even know how I did this but there was an like an open you know like traditional gi jiu-jitsu where you grab the sleeves and you you put your like feet on hips and like behind knees and stuff yeah <clears throat> Well, without without grabbing his wrists, I hooked his his knees and his uh, legs with like a totally open guard and swept him to his back without <laughs> any contact with my hands. It was That's weird. Crazy. It was like just I just caught him like balance was right. I yeah. I still watch it to this day and it just doesn't make sense to me. I mean. It makes sense. You can see, like, it's just perfect timing and balance. But, like, yeah. there's no way you would be able to, like, replicate that, right? It's just one of those things. So then I got on top, and, like, I think he realized after I swept him with that, he was, like, probably, like, oh, shit. Like, <laughs> oh, shit. You know, like, when, when you fight, like, the good Brazilian jiu-jitsu guys from Brazil, right? Like, they get a hold of you and you're like, fuck, this guy's good on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> right. So it was, a, it was one of those, but I just got on top and, uh, you know, some, some ground and pound, but nothing like that, you know, win any trophies or anything. Now and I just kept letting them up. I kept letting them up and taking them down. Mm. I would take them down and then like, let them up. <laughs> And just I kept taking him down, and letting him up. I remember at wow. the end of the first round, I threw him with a real pretty over under hip toss, 
and got some real good punches right before the bell rang. So he definitely won the first round. And then the second round was more of the same. I think in the second round, I ended up getting mount with a really nice, like, pressure pass from <coughs> half guard. And I was just, again, like, I probably could have done something in that position for mount, but I was so, like, wary of ankle locks and heel hooks. So I didn't – I was just – like overly cautious and respectful of the guy's submissions, right? So as soon as he tried to like bump my hips at all, I just bailed on the mount and just, you know, stayed on top. I don't know. I mean, he's amazing on the ground. So he obviously ended up getting up. I just took him down a lot. And then the the, <laughs> the last round, more of the same punch, strike, <clears throat> takedowns. I just kept crowding him. So he didn't have a chance to strike because it was just me coming forward, hitting, like, striking on the way forward. So you had no way to strike with me. And it's hard to win a fight on your back. For so sure. The last, the last, like, 30 seconds, I remember, like, you know, my, my corner yelling, you got 30 seconds, Drew, you got this. You just got to finish the fight. I'm like, hell yeah. And I took him down, and he fucking arm bars me, man. And uh. it's, like, tight as fuck. And they're like 10, I hear, I hear that. I'm like, fuck it. And he fucking popped, he broke my arm, but I didn't tap. <laughs> and I fucking won the fight. I jumped up. I didn't feel my arm. I was like, fuck yeah. Like I won the goddamn Olympics. I mean, that, that was, a, that was an exciting win. For me. A big win. I had a lot of respect for Dennis. And I thought he was a pretty cool guy after working to know him, living with him for a while. Yeah. That was pretty. That was that was one of the ones where you look back and you're like, "Yeah, that fight is cool. That's why fighting's cool." Yeah, right? yeah. I was surprised that I mean he's such a decorated wrestler. I, I was surprised at just uh, you know how easy you got those takedowns. I think something happened in the video here. Okay. Yeah, it's okay. You're good. I think you were getting another phone call. Yeah, I mean, um, I was training. I was training with, you know, ASU's wrestling team. I was, I was trying to wrestle for ASU at the time, but I had some trouble with the, the law. So that kind of made things fall short for me as far as college <laughs> wrestling goes. <laughs> uh, I mean, what, yeah. with, with the law, was it any kind of good, cool stories, you know, bank robbery, anything? Could you elaborate on or not really? Yeah, so, like, I used to work at Papa John's Pizzeria. Me and my buddy James Terry, we both used to work there. Like I said, he's a, he's a James Terry, James the Intensity Terry. He was a Kung Lee's main training partner really? for like a decade. Yeah. Really good fighter. He still fights at Bellator. Anyway, um, we were hanging out. We were at some Rage in the Cage. Me, Joey Rivera. Uh, who else was there? Dave Klein was there. You can ask Dave. He knows. <laughs> so we were wasted. And we get back to my apartment. And I call Papa John and we used to use this free coupon, free pizza coupon code to get free pizza. <laughs> and it worked every time. I didn't even work there anymore, but every time I called, <laughs> they give me a free pizza because I kept using this code. Well, this guy was a real smart ass and, and he, he, he retorted back to me, well, what do you have a free pizza coupon for the whole world? And we got into it. I'm like, yeah, you still at the shop? He's like, yeah, I'm here. What are you going to do about it? I'm like, I'll be right there, motherfucker. And so my girlfriend at the time is trying to stop me. And I drive down there in the, in, the, in the truck I had right in Tempe. 
and I, I park the truck, I go in there and I'm looking for the guy. They're like, he's out. I'm like, well, fuck that guy. Fuck you. And I take the computer. I smashed the computer on the floor. I fucking, <laughs> I ended up breaking the door because they had it locked. So I broke the door down. I get back in my truck and the fucking guy comes back on a delivery. And then he's fucking chasing me around the parking lot. And I'm in my fucking truck. He parks in front of the fucking Papa John's and I'm behind him as he was chasing me. But now I'm behind him. So I take my truck and I just fucking swaddle it. I fucking ran his fucking car through the fucking Papa John's fucking <laughs> storefront. And then I'm like, oh, this fuck. It's reasonable so far. <laughs> yeah. Right. The guy was, hey, this wait, wait, is hold totally up. reasonable. Joe, the guy was mouthing off to you on the phone. <laughs> These internet kids, they got to understand sometimes that, you can get touched. Exactly. Go, ahead, Go learn today. I, mean, I, I yeah. do want to point Whoa. out that that free pizza went to a very expensive pizza in a hurry, huh? Yeah, <laughs> it was very expensive. So, so how does this end? This is fantastic. I tried, I, I'm like, fuck. So I, I I get over a curb, and over the curb, I end up popping a tire, and I can oh. already hear freaking police sirens. Right. Turn that car off. Throw the keys away. And I'm like, fuck. So I just turn the around. Back stolen. The lot. Run. I, dude, I turned, I turned, I pulled back around in the shopping mall and I just pull the keys out, cops pull up, I just get out, hands on my head already, like, already, like, okay, you got me. (laughs) And they charged me with freaking ag assault with a deadly weapon. I'm like, fuck. So I had to deal with that bullshit for a while. Yeah. That's a cool story, though. Is that that really your fault? If you really think about it, this kid... It's she pretty much my job. fault. He was, man, he was talk about anger, anger issues, man. Come on. That's completely <laughs> my fault. Total that's, a, that's an awesome story, though, dude. I love it's it. It's an awesome I story. I don't think so. It was worth it. Uh, no, I'm fault. sure it's not. But it's still so cool. that, probation, that probation that I was on that ended up getting me violated was the reason they took Kenny Florian for the first Ultimate Fighter because I was supposed to be in Kenny Florian's class. Oh, no. <laughs> but I was in fucking jail at the time on a on a domestic violence, like criminal damage thing that wasn't even oh, really man. domestic violence. But yeah, man. Once you get snake bit by law, you gotta you gotta stay, yeah, be careful. What, yeah, once you you're in the careful. system, it's like they, they, it's, it's hard. hard. To get out. It's hard to get out of the system. Yeah. I agree. You be careful, I agree. Man. All right. So Drew, we uh we're in the middle of an investigation in regards to an event that took place in Nevada that you were supposed to be on. And it got canceled. So, in essence, Shooto USA Las Vegas, November 14, 2003. Yeah. They've got 12 canceled bouts, one of which was yours, and four of which they, they had an event with four fights, and Dana White was in attendance. And it was almost as if the UFC was allowing the, the commission to do their dirty work, and Shooto refused to cancel the event. I don't know what happened with the event per se, but I do know that I was supposed to fight some guy who's supposed to be pretty good from Japan. Adam Lynn. Who was it? I think it was Adam Lynn. I, I don't have it in front of me. I'm he says from Japan. Is that the same shoot fight? No, the guy had a real weird name, like a, a name that like some, some guy that survived like the Hiroshima bombing would have. <laughs> Not, I don't not find Mishima. That funny. Was it was it Mishima? <laughs> some guy, some, no. 
His first name is Dakon Janasuka. I, I don't know. I remember seeing okay. the guy's face, and the guy looked like a space alien. <laughs> so why? What, he was what good. did they tell you? Supposed to be real good. Was that your your bout got canceled, and were you in Vegas when it got canceled? I mean, I don't know. I don't. I I got fights canceled on me so much. I it was that was time to drink, dude. I was like, whatever. I was training to fight Diego Sanchez and King of the Cage, right? And they called me the day wins because I was in Tucson. I was going to get on a plane, fly to Albuquerque, weigh in. And I used to cut, like, so much fucking weight, dude. Because I was, like, beefy. I was, like, all about lifting weights, which is retarded. You don't want to lift weights. But I was ready. I was ready to go. And then they called me up. Oh, Diego, uh, he's not fighting. I'm like, Okay, well, time to drink. I find out he's fighting some bum the next night. Uh, not me. So that was lame. But mm. I had fights canceled on me so many times. Not as bad as this last run I've had. And then the, the fake COVID thing. But, man, you just get used to it as a fighter. If you're not fighting in like a... Decent. That was the cool thing about UFC. It's like, yeah, you didn't get to fight as much unless you're, I guess, you're Chris or Cowboy. They got to fight all the time. It's great. But uh, <laughs> that's the one thing I don't really understand is like these guys are like pro fighters. And I mean, if they're like champs, then okay, you know, they fight once a year or whatever. Yeah. But like, dude, like, isn't that kind of lame? Like, you're fighting in this event against really good competition and you're only getting to compete. Like, two or three times a year that's like that's gay like that yeah. sucks right and i know uh ed west i trained with ed west he's a bellator guy he took second in the tournament he got to the point where he had to leave bellator because they wouldn't they wouldn't put him on a card for like a year yeah you know it's like you're signed contractually to these businesses but they don't care about your love for the sport no you know, they're just gonna fit you in where they want to fit you in so i don't know what i was getting at but Whatever. I'd always, I'd always tell the man as soon as I can get in there, let's do it. You know what I mean? And just stay ready. If something falls apart last minute, I'd be like, "Cool, I'll, I'll jump in there." You know, just throw me in. Yeah, I love twenty-seven fight of the night bonuses. I'd want to fight every night too. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Fucking great. Keep them coming, baby. I love it. It, my, it my, makes my I, dreams come true. That's the fact <laughs> that you did that. I took some money from the UFC. <laughs> Not like, enough. I did, yeah, I, I, did, I, I did what I could. Not enough. Yeah, I think the point there was that with the shoot up cancellation was just one out of a hundred cancellations. He doesn't, yeah, remember details yeah. on it. So yeah, so pick, pick it yeah, up. Yeah, there was there, some, Mike. there was some going on there for sure. Uh, April seventeenth, two thousand four, Rage on the River, four man tournament. I can't believe what you did in this one. First opponent, Carlo Prater. Oof, yeah, I like, didn't know who that guy was, but he was good. <laughs> yeah, that guy was good. Did you ever fight Carlo, Chris? I did not. I did not. Just uh, fast never crossed. I figured they would have, but uh, no, I, I've seen him fight several times, but uh, I, I for some reason or another, it never happened. Oh, you know who he fought? He fought Carlos Condit. I think he beat Carlos Condit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think maybe beat Carlos Condit. Yeah, it was uh, – he was uh, kind of weird with his hips. Like, you know, I've been taking guys down most of the time. 
and I remember coming out there and I tried to over double overhook salto throw. And that's a bad move for MMA that I, yeah, I learned, definitely. you know? Yeah. Cause if you don't get it, like they're on top of the mount. Right. Yeah. So I tried to throw him with that. I remember at the beginning of the fight and he like, he stuffed me with his hips. So I'm like, Oh shit. Like this guy's not going to his back. And he was on top for a lot of that round. And then I kept trying to take him down. He was out striking me in the second round. And then in the third round, like I was down, like I was losing. I was like, fuck, I'm going to lose this fight. And there was like 15 seconds left. I'm like, well, I got to do something. So I punched him in the face and I grabbed his neck and I pulled the guillotine. I literally choked him out right before the bell rang. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I was pretty, pretty excited. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you had a couple. You had, a, a, I guess, I saw one of your other fights, almost uh, very similar fashion. You're losing a lot of it, and you get Koshek and knocked him out and, and choked him right at the end, man. So you've done that yeah, a couple that times. One. Kurt Pellegrino. Yeah, there's yeah. a few ones. That's when awesome, you can man. submit a guy. When you when you can submit a guy, you're always uh, you always have that that Hill Mary chance, right? Yep, yep, yep. So this That's is nice. a four man tournament. And Drew's yeah. first opponent is Carlo Prater. That's and a tough fight. Jeez. According to Carlo, who we have interviewed already, he said, I was I won the fight. I won I won the fight. And the guy jumps for a guillotine. I, I went unconscious. I asked my corner to explain to me how he got it. And he said, No, it was just a regular regular guillotine. And he's like, it blew my mind. It's it, it haunts him. <laughs> that fight haunts Prater. Yeah, good. <laughs> I don't have anything against Prater. I like Prater a lot. We, we yeah, fought right. again. We fought again in another tournament. But yeah, yeah he's he's real cool. Yeah, real it's cool guy. It's so better that it haunts cool him than, than than it haunts you. Yeah, yeah. I got enough stuff that haunts me. I don't. I don't need that one on my plate either. He can have it. So the second person for the finals is a rematch with Sean Beckett. Sean Beckett's yeah. got a second crack at Drew. How'd yeah, that go? Our buddy Sean. Um, well, this time I realized they don't want to stand bang with the guy because the guy hit real hard. And yeah. Like I said, I had never been hit that hard by someone, and I still haven't. Well, when I wasn't prepared for a fight raising the cage later on, we'll get to that. But anyway, until that fight, I hadn't been hit like that, and where it had like a lasting effect, right? Because even after the fight, I blew my nose which I didn't know, not not to blow your nose if you have, like, an, a, a hard punch to your eye or something. It blew up. And it blew up, man. Oh, my whole not sinuses were, like, in pain. So, anyway, it was a good reminder, like, hey, this guy hits pretty hard. Let's, let's stick with what got you to the dance. And so I took him down, and I choked him out. That's excellent. That's excellent. You know, most of these guys, they take guys down, and they're like, playing in the guy's guard, playing in the half guard. I would take a guy down with like more of like a, usually if I could like a body lock sag or a position where it took them down to the ground where immediately I just had position mm. and I wouldn't play jujitsu at all. I'd basically wrestle and I'd skip the jujitsu position <laughs> so I could choke them out. Which <laughs> Might make, right me a short cutter. Spot, Might make me a short cutter, but, you know, work smarter, work well not harder. for me in fighting sometimes. Yeah, smarter, not fight harder. Club. Exactly. 
50 yeah, we got a couple more with you. Um, yeah, maybe I can get 50 more. We'll see. <laughs> right. So May 14, 2004. Mike thinks I'm you, joking. You go. I'm, I'm with you, dude. I'm in. I'll go. I got, I, I'll, I got a question got for you real quick. We Have you this. ever thought about bare knuckle? No, that's retarded. I play the violin, so half those fights get stopped with broken hands. There's no way I'm risking the health of my hands. Well, we don't have too many violinists here, so you're probably best. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we can we could do a BKFC orchestra, and you know Drew <laughs> can be in it. <laughs> so you just gotta find another right. couple string players. There's a world freestyle fighting uh, in British Columbia, Canada, and you obviously had North, and you fight somebody from the Brazilian top team that opens up um, a gym. Yo, in Canada, named Fabiano, uh, Fabio Holanda. That guy was a stud. Yeah, that guy was Super a stud. stud. He was uh, GSP's jiu-jitsu coach for years. Yeah. Yeah. Brazahabi gets, like, an unfair, like, credit for that. It's, it's, it's Fabio. Unfair that he was GSP's well, coach? Well, he gets he, – he takes all the credit for being GSP's jiu-jitsu coach when it's actually Holanda. Good, good business, right? Oh. So, so how's that fight go? How's the fight go? Um, I was ready. Me and Jamie was my corner for that fight. Farner. I uh, we slept till like five p.m. So we were real rested, and then we went in and uh, I mean, I was just I was just jacked for that fight. I don't know, I was jacked because it was like. Now I'm now I'm fighting all the time. I'm used to traveling and fighting, so I'm not missing a beat now. Like I'm feeling I'm feeling really dialed on dialed in because I've been. I mean that that I mean I must have fought like six times in such a short period of time against like solid competition, right? Studs. So I was like, "Fuck yeah, let's do this!" And I I came out and like I touched him with a jab, and he was like, "Oh fuck that." And he had kind of surprisingly good wrestling for Brazilian. I remember he shot in. The fight's pretty, pretty entertaining as far as like transitions and. and it's uh, insane. The exchange yeah, between the two is goes. insane. Yeah, I think it's, it's online. Scrambling. Yeah, so he takes me down uh, almost, and then uh, <laughs> I get back up, and then I'm punching him, and then he takes me down again to my back, right to my butterfly guard. And immediately, like, I'm like, I don't want to be on my back with this guy. You still there, guys? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. My phone's about to die, so I'll have to move this in a second. Yeah. So I don't want to be on my back with this guy. So I'm in butterfly. As soon as my butt touches the ground, I'm I'm kicking out and using that body lock, like, stand up from butterfly technique. Right back up to my feet, right? And then I'm, I'm shooting in for a takedown. He hits a Kimura on me, and I freaking go to – go he's in top half and then i rolled my top and i'm rolling on top and it was a good scramble and then at the end i think the at the beginning of that did i take his back in that round or maybe the yeah. next round yeah somewhere in that round i took his back but i didn't finish and then i remember in the second round he must have been gassed because i put a lot of pressure on him and i was a little a little probably about five pounds bigger than him six seven pounds bigger than him and uh, he shot in trying to take me down because he did not want to be on his feet with me. And I stuffed his shot from headlock position and used a shin pass 
on his shoulder and boom, back choke. And it was great. I choked him out. He's third nice. in the world in uh, the Brazilian world. Well, you, uh, you were also in his personal space big time. Was there something personal happening between you two? Because you started what, real What intense. do you mean? Per- oh, no, I just, I don't know, man. I don't know. I just, pretty intense guy, I guess. <laughs> I don't get a chance to, like, let loose, you know. I'm kind of usually quiet, pretty introverted, so. You've been impossible yeah. to track down for this interview, so I believe you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. That's I, right. I know, that's it. Our pleasure, brother. I want to knock out one more if, if, if you're cool with it because I, I, I know you're, you said your phone's dying. Um, we talked about Kenny oh, Florian. I just it in, next fight. So we're good. Oh, okay. All right. So we'll, here, we'll get a couple more then. Kenny Florian, yeah. you win a split decision. He, here's the thing about that fight Kenny's only 2 0. No one really knows him outside of you know, that Boston area. You're 22 and 2. Dana White's in attendance, specifically scouting yourself. And the thing about it is, initially the fight was supposed to be at 160. Then it gets moved yeah, up to 165. Yeah, because it was supposed to be against uh, Jamie Varner. Okay, because two days before the event, it's up to 175. Wow. It was supposed to be 170 because I usually fought at 170. Uh-huh. I think it was 170. I think you I came in at 175. Well, I made weight, so if I came, oh, you did. I don't know where I read that online. Okay, all right. You're... I thought it was seventy the weight class, but now Dana White was in attendance. Did you guys have a conversation afterward? No, I didn't even know really who that was at the time. Oh, shit, he knew who you were. That's for sure. <laughs> um, shortly thereafter, that that's July tenth, two thousand four. You said you had to do a little, you had to sit a little time in county, and um. February 5th, 2005, you make your UFC 51 debut. Yeah. Chris, he gets Nick Diaz as his first poll. I've heard of that guy. (laughs) (laughs) So it's your second instance with Nick because he was cornering Sean Beckett in the four-man tournament. And now you're in front of him. What was that, Drew? I thought technically it was a real good first fight matchup-wise for me, but that doesn't take into account that Nick's a great strategist. He uh, is real good at playing possum. And, yeah, he had experience. He definitely had the experience of fighting a few times in the UFC before I fought him. So, I think it that's the biggest a big difference. thing. The first fight in the UFC is tough. Yeah. That's, what I told, that's what I told Kirk Pellegrino uh, after we fought. I'm like, don't even let it get you down, man. The first fight's kind of weird, so. Yeah, what are you people have do? Those, they always fight better. A lot of times, very rarely people fight great the first time. Usually it's not a great showing. So but yeah, so, anyway, I got I got a terrible ref stoppage in that fight. I mean, I don't know if you guys have seen the fight, but yeah. I'm playing my open guard, roll around on my back kind of thing. And he's just throwing these these punches that aren't really making any contact. And again, this is before they really, really understood more of the intricacies about the ground game, I feel. And they stopped the fight prematurely. I mean, so, I don't know. It is what it is. What were Wiggins like not gonna between speak. you and, and Nick? Was there any issues? I mean, he was like 
talking a lot of shit, like, but right before the fight, like right before we walked out. <laughs> but it was almost like he was like talking to himself, trying to get himself fired up. Yeah. Right. Were you responding to him when he was talking or just saying whatever or just. No, whatever. You know, I mean, I've had hundreds of wrestling matches under my belt this time, you know, all over the yeah. country. So it's like, whatever. Right. But, you know, I was a little upset. Uh, I don't know. I just, I, I thought he was a fucking asshole for like <laughs> saying that shit to me before the fight. So I just totally stonewalled him like after the fight. And I'd see him at like tournaments, like jujitsu tournaments. And finally, he had some guy come up to me and be like, hey, Nick wants to know, like, why are you mad at him? And I'm like, well, he was a fucking asshole before we fought. And so he came up and we hashed it out, whatever. So this is that's just the way he gets fired up, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Unless, like, he- you're, you're a douchebag and you, like, try to be – try to do his thing that motivates him, right? You yeah, do the, yeah. The fake, the fake Connor or whatever. Yeah. Like, in the first round – he, he was talking shit to you during the fight as well. Well, I don't remember that. Was that maybe, maybe he was, maybe that's why. I was yeah. Yeah. He was like, what are you going to do now, bitch? Yeah. Huh. But the odds part of it. It's part of the Diaz allure. Whatever. Um, all right. So I beat, him, I beat him nine times out of 10 now. Yeah. That's good. Oh yeah. Yeah. So on uh, August 6, 2005, I mean, it was your UFC debut. Nick obviously had a fight prior. You run into Josh Neer, who we also have had on the program. No, I right? fought Brandon Melendez before that, outside of the UFC. Oh, you had one fight outside, then right back in. That's correct. You are correct. <laughs> yeah. I might have had two fights. No, one fight. Because I fought, I fought outside the UFC when I wasn't supposed to in a, in a, in a fight, like a really? local fight. Yeah. I don't think they ever found out about it, but. <laughs> or maybe maybe they did. Man. Maybe they did. And that's one of the reasons they kicked me out. They're like, that's ah, we got it. So. Usually they they're on that man. They're usually Joe's watching. He'll give you the call, Chris. Not supposed to be fighting again. What do you you know? Huh. Yeah, so with Josh Near, did you guys have bad blood as well? Because I knew there were some kind of post fight antics. Yeah, I was fucking pissed at that dude. I was fucking pissed at that dude because we weighed in and the guy wouldn't shake my fucking hand. It might not be really? a big deal, like. To most people, but like I come from like a martial arts karate, like yes, sensei, no sensei background, right? Respect. So like, yeah, whatever. And the guy wouldn't shake my hand. I remember they're like, Oh yeah, all business near, all business, baby, the businessman. And I was just like, Okay. <laughs> and then we fought and I fucking choked him out cold. And they were they were still too fucking gingerbread on cable television about the UFC to make that fight televised. Which, if you guys have seen the choke, it's like it's a great choke. I'm literally on the dude's back and choke him out cold. It looks real nasty, and they didn't televise it. But anyway, after I choked him out, he's unconscious. And who is it? Steve Mazzagatti? That fucking guy, Steve Mazzagatti. <laughs> Dude, that guy must smoke so much fucking pot because I'm on the dude's back and, yeah, I'm pissed at Josh, but I don't want to kill him. And I'm fucking – he's done. He's out, and I'm talking to the ref. I'm like, yo, he's, he's unconscious. Out. Yeah. And he's just staring at me like something's not 
not turned on upstairs. And so finally I just let it go. And his head's like, you know, he's out, he's unconscious. And he's they stopped the fight, right? And then I, I leaned down as he woke up. I'm like, you want to shake my hand now, bitch? And that's the only time that I've ever used that kind of bravado or tough guy just because I didn't like his attitude. So, <laughs> well, And then, I- and you know what's not cool? What's not fucking cool is Jesse Forbes, who's one of the guys who got me fucking kicked out of fucking Arizona Combat Academy because he's a jealous <laughs> bitch. He fucking calls up Josh Near that night after I choke him out, right? I mean, I feel like he got what he got. Like, yeah. you don't need to rub it in anymore. This dude fucking that I used to train with, like I said, Jesse Forbes, he calls up fucking Josh Near and he's like talking shit to the dude. Like, guy just lost a fucking huge fucking ah. fight in his career. And he's like talking shit to him. Bless and, low. Yeah. And I was like in the, like, I, I walked in. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, you know, gets gets real quiet. I'm like, who are you on the phone with? He's like, no one. And then I find out later on, because I wanted to go train with Matt Hughes and Pat Militech and those guys. They're like, yeah, Josh Neer doesn't really want you here because he says you called him and talked shit to him after the fight. I'm like, yeah, that wasn't me, but I understand. Whatever. That's kind of how my life's gone a little bit. Like, Someone else does some shit. I get blamed for it. Someone else talks shit to me, and I have to drive a fucking truck through the fucking Papa John's storefront. I mean, come on. We've all been there. So, yeah. Did you, uh, hey, question at the end of the fight, did he shake your hand? He didn't know where he was, man. <laughs> I got a great picture somewhere where he's, he's off, you know? Oh, we've all been there. We've all been there. Yeah, he was a great interview for us. He he gave us a lot of time. He was awesome. He was awesome. Um, we, are you good for a couple more? Yeah, my man, Josh Koscheck, UFC Fight Night Two, baby, Koscheck, dude. This is yeah. When... I really put together a good camp for that one. Another like Dennis Hallman type camp. <clears throat> so I wish I could. I wish I would could have trained like I did for Dennis and Josh Koscheck every fight of my life. That would have been smart. <laughs> It was the, the debut of the master as a nickname. Oh, was it? Yeah. Show enough. Uh, show enough. <laughs> you ain't that bad. Show enough. <laughs> you, you, the thing is, with Koscheck, he's got, I mean, two-time All-American, one-time national champion. Like, he's got all these wrestling credentials. But he's also only 4-0. and And now you got Drew Fickett, who's 27-3. and like, that's a lot of experience to be throwing at somebody that's kind of beginning their MMA career. It was after his uh, his fights on the Ultimate Fighter, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I uh, I don't – I mean, I didn't well, I didn't really see him fight that much, right? I just – I saw some, some fights on the Ultimate Fighter, but it just looked like he was trying to take people down, right? That's so, all he did, bro. And coming from, like, you know, great wrestling background and pedigree. I wasn't under no illusion that the guy was a better wrestler than me, right? So I didn't really train much wrestling for that fight. I'm like, fuck it. What's the point? Yeah. <laughs> Guy's going to take me down. He's going to take me down. So, you know, I mostly trained trying to meme in the face. I mean, shooting in or, Mark. I don't know, ground stuff. So, Anyway, I trained real hard, put together the treadmill sprints, and 
the only thing I would change about my training then was, which I do now is that I lifted so much weight then, man. Mm. And weights are pointless in my opinion. It, I mean, I just, I don't see the point now, but anyway, I was big and strong as far as like, you know, muscle muscles go. So the fight opened up and I felt, I felt real good. You know, I felt like, I, I had a, a slight edge in the stand-up, you know. I was never, like, a, a great stand-up guy, but I definitely felt like, okay, I have I have a little bit of ability on this guy as far as striking goes. You know, and then he started shooting in, and there wasn't really a whole lot I could do. You fought him, right, Chris? Yeah, same thing. He continued to just try to you take me down and dry Carl, right? Huh? He fought you when I fought Carl Parisian, right? I can't remember. I just at remember the Miramar. I, the Marine it was Corps at the base. military base. No, yeah. no. I fought him in Vegas. I fought him in Vegas. I just remember okay, I got cut it, open all over the place, bled yeah. a lot with a little elbow. Well, you just, you know, you got to keep the guy off you. So anyway, yeah, yeah. He, he kept taking me I, down, and I had good. No, I, I just remember when I fought him. Uh, they offered me the fight. I was like, man, he ain't going to do it besides try to take me down. And they're like, oh, no. All he does is work stand-up anymore. It's like, I swear he's not going to stand up with me. Yeah, he will, Chris. No, he didn't stand up with <laughs> No, he won't. Yeah. I mean, so anyway, he, he took me down, but I was pretty much ready for that. I wasn't, like, under any illusion that he wasn't going to take me down. What yeah. I was doing is just kind of playing possum and, like, trying to get him tired. You know, and I had a real good, real good ground for my back. Like, I don't know many guys at that time that had the sense of wrestling that I had with the ground game off my back, right? Yeah. I, I had pretty much a good mixture of both worlds. And I just played a lot of possum. I'd let them pass, you know. I'd let them – I'd make them work. I'd make them work to pass, but I'd let them pass, right? i let them mount one time just so I could give them an arm bar, which he took, and I spun out of it, almost got on top. Because I figured all I need to do is get on top. Mm-hmm. I get on top, fight's over. Yeah. Right? And I almost got on top then. And there was a there was a knee that I landed in the second round that was close to really making good contact. Um, you know, and it was just more the too. same. Your up kick at the end of the second, or about a minute 30 left in the second round. I don't think yeah, you should recover from that. Oh, really? I don't remember. Huh. Yeah. I guess I should watch the fight again. It's been a while. But, yeah, so this is more of the same. You know, me trying to bait him into something and him just wrestling hard, right, wrestling hard, get that get that decision, get that decision. Yeah. And, you know, I think uh, John John McCarthy, <laughs> right, is that his name, the, the ref? Yeah. Yeah. So John McCarthy, he saw that Josh was on top of me with, like, I don't even know, like 20 seconds left or something, 30 seconds, Dude, I don't know. 30, yeah. 48 and I think seconds. he still I yeah, I still think he felt like kind of like, ah, maybe I didn't call that Nick Diaz fight too good. So I fucking <laughs> no, I'm serious because I looked up at him. I'm like, come on, John, give me a chance this time. And like a couple seconds later, he's like, All right, stand him up. Yeah. And then, you know, obviously I know what Josh is gonna do. He's gonna shoot run in and shoot. Yeah. So I hit a switch nine. And I meant to kick him in the head with my shin, but he just crowded me so much. He ran right into a left high kick knee. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, he dropped and 
didn't have time to punch him. So what I usually do is jump on his back and choke him out, <laughs> which is pretty cool because it was kind of like a knockout and a choke out. Uh, I, I remember yeah. watching that. That, that was, that was, that was sweet, man. I remember watching that. It was just like, uh, man, that, that flair for the dramatics, man, coming back. It's like, you know, throwing the Hail Mary pass at the end and just stay in the fight the whole time and uh, waiting for the right time, waiting for the opportunity, and you capitalize on it. It was awesome. Yeah, it makes it worthwhile, yeah. Is it luck when somebody consistently does that, though? It's not luck, no. No. I mean, here, you got Josh Cash, yeah, Carlo Crater, Sean Beckett. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, he's got three of them. Like, it's, it's not luck. It's, you know, it's, it's a machine. Um, you know, like, you, you just, you never quit. And you even said, like, in your post-fight, that you never quit fighting. The same type of thing happened against Carlo Crater. And you know what? You gave Carlo Prado a shout out. I guarantee that meant the world to that guy. Oh, Carlo, me and Chris, we're all we're all on the same level, you know. I mean, he's just a real fighter, you know, a real G. Yeah. yeah. He just wants to compete. I don't know if he still competes, but he does. He talked about wanting I mean, to we fight. Fought, for we him, fought man. each other again. He just he actually just fought oh, in you Serbia. Have a fight card, Chris. What's that, buddy? You have a fight card? No, man, I'm out, man. I'm, I'm, I'm a little older than you oh. guys. I'm 47 now, man. I said Carlos still wasn't Good. playing. Still, I, meant, I meant you have a fight card. You oh, so I promote stuff? Yeah. He's no, doing a bare knuckle. I, I do commentary for the bare knuckle. I do com- I'm the commentator. Oh, awesome. Yeah, that's cool. That's fun to commentate. Right. But, I mean, yeah, like I said, I, I, uh, I, I'm 47 now, man. Those days are over, man. My body hurts. <laughs> My body so, hurts every day, but it is what it is, right? How old I mean, are you now, 40? I'm going to be 42. And, yeah, I feel it all over. But, I mean, I spend a religious amount of time, like, taking care of my body, eating healthy. Yep. Like, Good as man. crazy as I was when I was younger, I'm not crazy about health and my body and, like, taking care of myself and my athletes now. So, you I have kind to of pull the 180 the other way. That's good. That's good. All right. Good for so, you, too. If we're talking MMA trivia, we got a guy named Crowbar that kind of you know, peels trivia questions from our podcast. Yeah. The UFC Fight Night 3, you fight your third Josh in a row with yeah, Josh Bergman. It, it was bound to be a curse, man. <laughs> <laughs> I don't well, know if it's trivia or not, but I guarantee no one else has got that on the record. <laughs> probably not. Well, first of all, that guy was – a lot tougher than anyone gave him credit for at the time. And second of all, man, I just like, I mean, I still wasn't taking it that seriously. Right. Like I I would train hard for specific fights, but I just, I don't know, man. You know, I, I needed a mentor. That's what I needed. Mm. I need a mentor. I remember I I read some book that Michael Johnson wrote about, you know, uh, called slaying the dragon. It was just about peak performance and professional greatness and organizing your life. And I definitely implemented some of that stuff. But looking back, it's like, man, all I had to do is be more organized, right? Yeah. More organized, like, and you don't know these things as a kid. You just want to go party and get laid. It's all that matters. It's called hormones. But <laughs> so I, I ended up leaving Arizona Combat Academy where I had all the success and going out to California and like hanging out with this guy, Jason Chambers and chasing this, this girl around. Mm. And I was training at Eddie Bravo's gym. Um, 
at the time Rogan was training there a little bit too. And I don't know, man. I just it wasn't the same camp, right? Dwayne Ludwig, we, we trained a little bit, Boss Rudin a little bit. I don't know, it wasn't the same. You know, everything's so far to drive. For me, mm. whenever I had a good camp or a good experience, pre-fight preparation, I was always close to like my gym, close to my chiropractor, close to everything. So I didn't have to spend too much time transmuting, right? So I don't know, just the change of pace and the fact that I was, you know, just chasing girls and not not really living the, the lifestyle fighters should live. And I didn't take this guy. The biggest thing is I didn't take this guy, Josh Burton, serious. Because I saw him on the Ultimate Fighter. I'm like, this guy sucks. Finally, <laughs> an easy, finally, an easy fight for UFC. Fuck. And fucking went out there and he he caught me in a guillotine and smoked me. Fucking 30 seconds, 45 seconds. Bam. Just goes to show you, man, it doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter how good the other guy is. It only matters how good you are that night yep. or that day, right? It's all that matters. And it seems like there, there, there is no easy fights in UFC anymore, especially those guys when they came off the reality show. All of a sudden, they go to, like, legit camps, and they got good quick, you know what I mean? So it's just – yeah. it was tough. Well, you know, on top of that, um, I think that – Whatever took place in that fight, you said you needed a mentor at that time. Obviously, you, you left the Lally brothers uh, over at Arizona Combat Sports, and you wind up, I'm assuming, because you're cornered by him, which you start training with Ivan Salivary for Kurt Pellegrino. Um, let's see. Well, Carol was before that, right? No, Carol's after that. Oh, okay. No, I trained in Tucson. I moved back down to Tucson, and I trained in Tucson for Kurt Pellegrino. It was you at Salaberry in your corner. Not, not for that one. He was in my corner for Carol Parisian. Okay. All right. I, I saw yeah. it. Was, yeah, you were training with Allman and because Dennis. Dennis was supposed to be in my corner, and uh, <laughs> something happened with Dennis, and he didn't make the flight. Ooh. So, uh, Ivan was there. Okay. Okay. So, you got uh, Kurt Pellegrino, who's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt under Hermes Franca. And a state and, champ um, wrestler from New Jersey. State wow. champion wrestler. Yeah. Yeah. And, and pretty, um, good, yeah, pretty damn a, good stand-up. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Andy so, Wang. Andy Wang. Anthony Leon, who's now the head coach of the Sunnyside wrestling team, who I coached in high school. Anthony Leon was in my corner. Andy Wang was in my corner. Who else was in my corner? I know those two guys are in my corner. Yeah, well, it, it was a, a back and forth contest that ended with you getting the rear naked choke against Kurt Pellegrino. And in a rare instance, you see Joe Silva enter the ring and give you some, you know, congratulate yourself for your performance. Oh, he doesn't do that? In that often. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know. What was your relationship with him like, though? You see, I mean, you he said... Sent, he sent me an email once in a while. Uh, <laughs> you, you that, didn't... that was pretty personal. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, some, mean... some of the guys he would talk to and, 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 and be chatting with, and then other people describe him being real surly or anything, like, you know, so... 
I mean, I just treated them like, I don't know, the hired help or something. Like, they were just there. Him, Dana, like, no offense, but, like, you're not a fighter, mm. right? Uh, you're an accountant. Like, yeah. okay, cool. I'm not going to disrespect yeah. you, but you're a fucking accountant. Like, you know, you I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of weird. Like, look at look like the NFL. Who are the, all the superstars? It's the players. You know, it's not necessarily – a coach, you know what I mean? So I, I don't know. I think I, I understand. What well, I mean, even at least the coaches board. have more. Yeah, at least even the coaches have more of an impact with the players, right? Like because they actually yeah. like are actually with the players. These guys who run their business, they don't fucking care about you. Yeah. And honestly, they shouldn't. It's their business. Like what? They shouldn't get involved personally with their employees, right? So yeah. I don't know. That's the way I look at it. And it's such a big business, and. Now it's an even more big business, but even when I was, you know, in the UFC, it was pretty big business, you know, sponsored by the Fertitta brothers before I think they sold it or whatever. <laughs> so, I mean, whatever, you know, it's just another fight. It was just cool. They, my friends got to watch me on TV and it was cool that the fight happened. We got treated real well. We got our per diem money. We didn't have to worry about our checks bouncing. Yeah. yeah. Right. When they said they were going to pay us a bonus, they paid us a bonus. Like, I don't know. It'd be nice if all fights were like that, but you know, that's why they're the best because they have a different yeah. standard of care for their athletes and their their employees and their professionals. Did did you ever get ripped off by a promoter? I mean, Rowan Saria ripped me off every fight, but <laughs> we both knew he was ripping me off. So, is that really getting ripped off? <laughs> Yeah, I don't think so. Uh, no, I don't. I've actually, I don't think I have been ripped off yet. I, I think every, most of the fighters I know, like, I think everyone's been ripped off at least once. So oh, I'm yeah. shocked. But yeah, how about you, Chris? What was your Have you been ripped off in a fight? Oh yeah, we were talking about a guy named was Ed Kim up in Chicago put on a big fight. He's probably ten, seven UFC veterans on the thing and. There's about uh, 50 to 60 people showed up, and uh, everybody's check bounced. That dude files bankruptcy, disappears from the face of the earth. So that really pissed me off. Jeez. Yeah. I got ripped off my second fight ever. So guy said he's going to pay me 250 bucks, and he paid me $100. Uh, we argued for a while, and then uh, I was like, you know what? Give him my 100 bucks, And then uh, I said, I'll never fight for him again. I never did. So. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how they stay. I don't know how they stay in business. I don't either. You would I mean, think you would think you rip off one guy, and then the other fighters would talk. But I guess fighters don't really talk about you know they don't really. Well, fighters are a lot of fighters are like, oh, he ain't gonna do that to me. Eh, we'll see, you know. What I mean? and, and this dude rips everybody. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. yeah, good luck with that, man. I, I warned you. Good that's luck. all I can do. If you don't want to listen, good, you get what's coming to you. Yeah. yeah. What, what, what was your relationship like with Jason Chambers? You had mentioned him earlier. Your former manager. Um, I met him. I met him in Phoenix, you know, you know, and he was just like, you know, real charismatic guy, real nice guy. And uh, I don't know. He, he, I mean, I was getting kicked out of the gym in Arizona combat Academy. So he offered to, you guys still there? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So he offered for me to come, come out there, stay with him. And I could train at Eddie Bravo's. And it seemed like a viable option because I just got yeah. kicked out of, out of, out of my gym that I was training at. And so 
went out there. I don't know. I, he was just never really that serious about the sport, you know. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't really want to say anything bad about him because he he helped me out along the way. Yeah. But you know, we're a- I don't know. He just wasn't serious like I was, you know. And it's at the end of the day when it comes down to it, it's the people that you surround yourself with mm-hmm. or don't surround yourself with, right? Yeah. So I, I would choose not to surround myself, you know, with him looking back, but where, uh, where are you training out of right now, man? Do you ever, are, are you still in the Phoenix oh, area? You know, it's pretty cool. There was this guy that was, uh, stalking his girlfriend in Phoenix and she was a stripper. That is cool. And he ended, he ended up, he ended up stealing his girlfriend's purse and me and him. And I think Jamie Varner at the time, we, uh, we got the guy on the phone and Jason Chambers pretended to be like the police and the guy was only going to give the, the, the purse back to the detective on the case. And so he played this off. Anyway, the guy said that he would meet us and give us a purse back. Well, we met him and we ended up driving our car through his and he, he ended up getting away, but it was pretty cool. Cause like I completely totaled my fucking car. Cause we were like, well, what do we do? He's right there. And we got excited instead of getting out, like just like restraining the guy and getting her purse back. We just fucking like throttled the car and fucking plowed into his car. And I hit it in such a way that I totally totaled the car we were driving. And mm. We barely made it home, but he got away. So anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One thing I've learned from all my uh, crash at derby things, you always hit him with the rear of your car. You know, don't do the front. That's why, that's why your car get breaks, you know, so. That's so, why. Hit him in reverse next time. <laughs> yeah. No, but I was asking. I love Phoenix. I got uh, one of my good buddies, chiropractors there. I go uh, visit every now and again. So in the Phoenix area. What's his so, name? Uh, his name's uh, Doctor Buckner. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. What about Brian Hamper, your other manager that you've had? Brian's cool. I hear he's doing real well, with like a sponsorship clothing company or something, right? Cool. Brian Hamper. No, I said cool. That's good. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know, Seth Seth uh, keeps a hold of him still. Seth Bazinski. You should have Seth Bazinski on this show. Yeah. He's real charismatic, and he, he's got a lot of the same attitudes that we have about the old school fighters. Good, um, good. Yeah, Brian's okay. cool. Seth Fulford being Russian. Out. He wasn't – Brian was never, like, mean enough to, like, really understand me. He was always just, like, a really nice guy. But what, he never what about, did me any wrong. What about your appearance on Judge Judy? What? Yeah, that was I pretty about funny, this. Huh? What, what were we on Judge Judy for? Well, we were at a party, and <laughs> I might have been a little inebriated. And we found uh, some golf clubs in the garage. And I don't know. I just wanted to hit some golf balls. So we took the, the golf clubs, and I got on top of some dude's car, some girl's car at the party. And I was trying to put the ball on the roof, but it kept rolling off. So I stomped a bunch of dents in the top of the car, and I was hitting golf balls, like, off the roof of the car into the into the house windows. I don't know. They didn't like that too much, so – they uh, somehow they had some sort of like connection to Judge Judy. <laughs> so me and my girlfriend at the time got flown out to Los Angeles, put in a hotel and went on this thing called Judge Judy where they they do a mock trial, but it's all fake. I mean, yeah. Judge Judy used to be a real judge, but yeah. it's it's all fake. And 
if you lose, they pay your settlement. So, so I'm in. Yeah, I'm in because it, it was either that or they're going to sue me in civil court in Tucson. <laughs> so fuck it. So I don't know. What do you say to Jeff? Hey, man, it was, what what do you say to her? Why you did it? Dude, I was so arrogant, like stupid, man. You know, just your typical young, like cocky kid. Like, yeah. She probably didn't treat you very well, did she? No, I mean, I was, I was supposed to be the bad guy, right? Like, I, they, they instructed me to like interrupt her as much as possible so that then she could like <laughs> reprimand me, right? Put me in my place. It's all scripted. I'm sure that's funny. And you know, it's, uh, you know, it's even worse. All right, so they're gonna pay for the damages, obviously. That yeah. she decides that comes out of the show budget. Like it's actually a horrible deal for the person getting the money because they're never gonna recoup what it is they're supposed to get. Yeah, I never thought of that. That's a good point. Uh, it helped you out. That's all we care about. <laughs> I love it. All right, let's let's uh, close out with hey. Harold Parisian, UFC oh. fight nights on a military base against. You know, I got my my theory on this. We'll let you start. Yeah, uh, I had a good camp. That's when I went up and trained with Dennis and Ivan a little bit. Um, you know, we probably trained with Ivan maybe like three weekends for that one. But I was training out in uh, Lowell, not Lowell. That's Massachusetts. Uh, what's well, it's a little outskirt town on Olympia, Washington. And I don't know. I mean, those guys just don't train that hard. Like, is it Yakima? No, it's right by Olympia. Just uh, south. Yelm? Southeast. Yelm. Yeah, Yelm. Okay. Yeah, that's where Dennis <laughs> went to high school. Anyway, we, we were in Yelm, and he has a gym at his house, which is an awesome gym. But I don't know. Those guys just, like, they get, get away with just being, like, tough and talented, right? Like, they don't really put in a lot of work. Hmm. They put in just enough work. So it was hard to find people to train with, but I was in shape. I was doing my treadmill sprint workout. I was ready. And then, like I said, Ivan I, uh, I I, I Salivary was in my corner, and Dennis ended up missing the flight, which we'll, we'll keep that to ourselves. Um, Andy Wang was in my corner, I believe. Yeah, Andy Wang, Ivan Salivary, and Dennis was supposed to be there. Were you involved in any of the hijinks involving Jeff Monson up there? What did he do? With Dennis Hallman? Like, there was, like, like war. It put all no, I know who Jeff Munson is. Up. When he spray painted the Capitol and shit? No. no, Dennis, no. Dennis declared war on Jeff Monson, even though they were teammates. And, like, it culminated with, like, taking – his driver's side car seat out like while Jeff was at work. So Jeff would have to drive home on a bag of leaves. Yeah, that sounds like his furniture on his roof. He put all his furniture from his living room on top of his roof in the exact right order. The cat. Yeah, that sounds like something they would do for fun. Yeah. Washington. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, came out and Carol was surprising. Well, not surprised. I should have been ready for him to be good in the upper body Greco clinch positions. He's a yeah. fucking judo guy, but it was surprisingly like impossible for me to like body lock and take down. Like I had everybody else. Yeah. So he ends up taking me down in the first round or the first, the second round, he ends up taking me down and I have like a, 
my arms locked behind my leg, like, like this and holding him. Right. Like when you hold the guy in your guard, there's no way you can get out. So yeah. I'm just stalling from here. And then all of a sudden I let it go and pop, elbow. And I fucking cut him open. Like nobody's business. I mean, his face is fucked up from that. And the round ends and he's he's shaking his head like he doesn't want to come out and andy wang's like he's quitting drew he's quitting you won i'm like fuck and i'm looking over i'm like he's quitting and then like somehow his corner like got him to stop fucking get around. out there <laughs> yeah get out there and so then they started the next round and i just remember it was pretty back and forth i ended up getting a, a double at the end of the second round and getting some really good elbows because i was trying to reopen up that or make that cut even worse and in the third round he was uh he had really good pressure and he had surprisingly pretty good boxing like i mean me i had no boxing at the time i was just a fighter right but he had pretty good range and good pressure and he punched me a lot and i had a lot of like damage that i didn't even realize i had till after the fight when i saw pictures of my face but you know the end of the fight it was that those geo hips where I couldn't get him in a compromising position to, to eke out one of those Hail Mary wins. Yeah. But it was a good fight back and forth. And when they told me I won fight of the night with Caro, I mean, we were, we were the happiest guys in the world. Like <laughs> there's nothing better than that. I mean, fuck exactly. $20,000. It was 20 grand at the time. So 20 grand was, that was, that was going in a few months, but Hey, it was fun. <laughs> I, I think the, one thing that came into play that you couldn't have like accounted for was the match before this Carol fights Diego Sanchez. And the reason Carol loses is because he hits a cardio wall dealing with the wrestling. Once yeah. Carol understood that every single time he went to the ground with you, you were sucking energy from him. He changed up his game plan. Had you got that fight before Diego, you hundred percent, hundred percent would have won a decision. Oh, maybe. I don't know. Carol was a good competitor. He had a lot phenomenal. of phenomenal, phenomenal. Good, good, hip, good, good hips, like you said. Yeah, good competitor. But hey, Dennis yeah. got him for me. So yeah. yeah. If I had to pick one night that was the greatest night Drew in the history of Drew Fickett in terms of fighting, your September 10, 2010, Newkirk, Oklahoma, Shine Fights, the eight-man tournament. Absolutely yeah. falls into that category. There you go. I got to take a leap. There it is. Chouse. There it is. I got to take a leap. <laughs> like, well, he's, we're going to wrap this up. We're done. Um, but I'm like an hour past due, but it's all right. I know, man. I know. My old lady's going to kill me, too. Uh, Miguel, where were we at time-wise? I don't know, but I got two files. This one's over an hour, and I think the other one was an hour and a half already. So we're Okay. okay. So here – He's peeing. I guarantee you can hear me. He's pissing in a cup for sure. Shine Fights' first opponent Charles voice. Bennett. <laughs> said, yep. <laughs> He's got Charles Bennett. He, in the first round, he wins by guillotine. Um, Charles Bennett slammed his way out of an arm bar. True Fickett trapped his right arm and um, hit him with the guillotine. Charles Bennett goes completely out while trying to suplex. There's Drew a Fickett. picture yes. of him right there. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Uh, second fight, Dennis Bermudez, who um, he's good too. He's got a, he's got a win over Max Holloway. Yeah, Bermudez. Look at this. 
rear naked choke. Man, thanks, man. This helps our editor out. That's great. Exactly. That's great. Look at that. <laughs> he gets a uh, rear naked choke over Dennis Bermudez, and then in his third fight that night, he's got Carlo Prater in a rematch man. that Carlo's been begging for. This is the True. greatest picture ever, though, right here from the Shine Tournament. This is just like – you can see Crazy Horse's face. He's just cheesing. <laughs> yeah, that's special. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so he beats I mean, Carlo Crater so, with the uh, rear naked choke. He wins a, a, a eight-man tournament. Drew, why don't you tell them how many times you got punched that night? Zero. Yep. Man, that's a good day. That's yeah, a good, hey, that's a tough everybody tournament. Out, all good guys. everybody out in what seven minutes? Wow, yeah, man. it was a good tournament, good competition, and yeah. they paid me, so I showed up 50 grand. 50 grand, How much? man. 50,000 dollars. What, yeah, good for you. Good for you. Yeah, that's a good that's focus through Fickett can do. Yeah, on the way out, did you call Joe Silva to get Joe Lauzon? In the UFC, Danny Lozon. Danny Lozon. You got Danny Lozon in the UFC? I may have. I don't remember. Okay. I was always yeah. trying to help guys out because Danny was on my team. So makes sense. Cool. All right, Prue. Cool. Hey, man, I really appreciate your time. Fascinating stories. Great career. You know, uh, keep love your grinding out. Still doing things, man. Thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Man, that was uh, really good. I, I really enjoyed a lot of that. Very interesting guy. It threw me off when he was like, uh, talked about Barry Knuckles. Like, Chris, I, I play the violin. So, <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, man, just, uh, I didn't know about, you know, how many rear naked chokes that guy had. Just his thought process is very simple. Um, I like a lot of what he said. I love the, I love the interesting story about uh, the Papa John's fiasco man what a, <laughs> what an interesting uh development well this is what i think like one he's impossible like this anyone that interviews him after us they've had they're gonna have to show up at his house like it it was <laughs> incredibly difficult to get him but i believe well he, he texted you know he texted me after saying he had a good time so what i think now is concentrate on his grappling career some of his fights after the UFC and his out of the cage hijinks I think we've got uh, enough of a rapport well where he's brutally honest even when he's at fault he's he's talked about like his mistakes and um you know we didn't push too hard obviously when you know those windows were open I didn't feel comfortable uh doing that but I think I think that window of opportunity is is set up for the next interview that's my personal opinion. But and, and he gave us a few windows, you know, like, to be honest with you, I, I'm friends with Dennis Hallman, you know, but from back in the day, I booked him a bunch of times and stuff. I didn't realize that he had spent time training up there and that he had, you know, all those exchanges with him and stuff like that. And he has as many of those road <laughs> warriors with from the 55 club do. He has ties to a lot of interesting people and interesting moments in, in, in MMA history. So, Drew Fickett, thank you, bro. Well, so, Miguel, how much influence do you think Dennis Hallman had and how Drew Fickett handled situations? Because, you know, Drew Fickett goes out there, 
Dennis Hallman kind of reads the situation, plies his partying friends with him because, you know, he's such a nice guy. <laughs> they keep Drew drinking for three days before the fight. He says a girl showed up. Of course, he never partook in that. That's not something that, you know, Drew Fickett would do. And it's just yeah. like you can see that type of interaction could change somebody, especially a Drew Fickett type. Would you not agree? I think he found birds of a feather there. I think Drew's a guy that he's, I think he said he didn't like, you know, too many rules or follow people there. And I think I, I was going to ask him when he was driving through that Papa John's window in Arizona, <laughs> did he think for a minute he was in Washington? Because in Washington, he probably wouldn't have been arrested. <laughs> he probably would have gotten away with it out there. Man, I, I just was thinking about like, it almost makes me look at a, you know, Dennis Holman, like, man, this guy, he's on it. He has a lot of, and he, just those mendons he has, he has people doing everything. What a, what a, that's a team effort that he has going on, man. Geez. So we've changed our format. You know, we've evolved from like the first 10, 15, even 20 podcasts. Yeah. And if I were to kind of hit the rewind button and just slow down a little bit and redo it, Holman, Monson, and um, Hallman, Monson, and Jeremy Horn, those are my three guys I'd like to redo because they're just – I think we went a little too fast. Even though we got in-depth, there was more there that we could have gotten. So maybe after we hit 100 episodes, we got to have Hallman back, dude. We got – now that we know so much more. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So. So All right. another good one in the books. We got the schedule full – we will be delivering as long as you guys keep hitting the likes, subscribes, and comments. We're getting good comments too. Interesting comments and people looking back at some of the older stuff. Uh, don't let Mike, you know, we haven't involved all that much. That early stuff's gold, man. Go out there. And it's check still it out. good, but we've changed our format a little bit, but you're correct. Yes. 